0: The White House announced that President Trump had commuted the prison sentence of Ted Sewell, a former operator of a behavioral health company in Arkansas.
1: When when Teddy choked me, I caught him and Sheila in the mall as well. Teddy had a way of talking down to us and being very disrespectful. They just tackled this thing. And like he hits his head on the
0: concrete and, and like busted. He's bleeding a little bit. He's like, dude, like, why would they do that to me? And I was like, dude, I don't, like, I'm just like shell shocked. You know, I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> so
1: when I started telling him I knew about him and Sheila and he was sneaking around and all that, he comes around the car and pushes me up against a pole up under the car porch and chokes me. And when he does that, I kick him in his thing, and we're fighting at that point.
2: who was convicted on bribery and fraudulent charges
0: in July of 2016. The White House said Trump's decision to commute sole sentence was influenced by former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee and former U.S. Attorney Bud Cummins.
1: And uh, he pretty much grabbed the kid out of the chair, uh, jumped on him, grabbed him out of the chair, knocked him to the floor and desks went everywhere they ended up under the teacher's desk and i heard which was about like eight ten feet away and i heard what i thought at the time was probably a pencil snap but it turned out to be the kid's arm i do know that it was made out to be the kid's fault see i had to i had to write up a report also of what happened but when they read my report they asked me to change it Charlie warned us not to talk to Anybody about anything at the ranch and to say everything was good because Ricky would be taken back to his drug-addicted mother and would probably die. I got called up to the office to be on a phone call with somebody. I I don't remember the guy's name. And they were asking us questions about it. Well, when I... They had a copy of my report about what happened there it wasn't my report it was a typewritten report not the handwritten one I had it, it had my signature on it yes they had copied my signature it was a photocopy the whole thing was a photocopy of it
0: when we started this project we had no idea how many people would reach out to us and because of this it has taken us a little bit longer to get this up and running We've had staff, residents, and adjunct workers alike reach out to us, sharing their own experiences with the ranch, and we're ready to bring them to you. With a population of just over 300 people, most of what you'll find in Warm Springs, Arkansas, is trees, wildlife, and dirt roads. But within this seemingly small community lie many secrets. Secrets that have been swept under the rug for decades. Oddly enough, Warm Springs has been host to multiple significant and important figures. It seems a little bizarre that so many important figures would be so interested in visiting Warm Springs. Bizarre, I know, but allow us to connect some of the dots for you. Back in the 1960s, things didn't go so smoothly in California for the Souls. During his time in California, Bud Soule was formally charged with one count of conspiracy, 16 counts of grand theft, and 3 counts of violating the California Corporation's Code. And, not surprisingly, this wasn't his first run-in with the law. Bud Soule had previously spent time in federal prison for mail fraud. You might say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but we'll get to that later. It's unclear how much time Bud Sol actually served in prison while living in California. We were unable to find any documentation showing exactly how much time he spent in prison. Bud Sol died in 2010, and anyone that he may have provided this information to has refused to speak to us. We suspect their attorneys may have advised them not to, but can you really blame them? In their situation, I'd probably do the same even with only a fraction of the allegations Ted Soule has had thrown his way. But what we do know is that Bud Soule's sentence was 2 to 20 years, and the mail fraud scheme earned him a discretionary sentence of up to 10 years. After serving whatever time he served in prison in California, Bud Soule left Los Angeles behind and headed to Randolph County, Arkansas. By 1976, Bud Sull had established a Bible-based residential treatment center in Warm Springs, Arkansas. Unbeknownst to him at the time, this facility would grow into a multi-million dollar business shrouded in mystery and controversy. It would ultimately become his lifelong legacy. According to former residents from the earlier years of the ranch's operation, Mike Huckabee would visit the ranch every week to have secret meetings with Bud Sol. These meetings were conducted in private prior to him becoming the governor of Arkansas. Another former resident claimed that they used Bill Clinton's private plane to get to an emergency hearing in Chicago while Clinton was serving as Arkansas's governor. There are reports and allegations of several Arkansas governors colluding with the Lord's Ranch, such as Asa Hutchinson, Bill Clinton, and the most commonly known ally, Mike Huckabee. Mike Huckabee is believed to have played a significant role in convincing Donald Trump to commute Ted Soule's prison sentence at the end of his presidency. After years of being watched by the FBI, Ted Soule was sitting in a federal prison stemming from charges of fraud and bribery related to the ranch. Do you remember that apple falling far from the tree remark earlier? Like his father, Ted too had also become a felon. There is a little irony in the fact that Ted Soule allegedly monitored all of the landlines on the ranch's property because eventually the FBI would wiretap Ted's phone. The FBI's investigation produced enough evidence to allow a court of law to sentence Ted Soule to seven years in federal prison. According to some former staff members, Ted claimed he was set up by President Obama Due to his Bible-based treatment facility, they were persecuting Christians, he said. Some of his staff believed him. Others thought it was outlandish. At any rate, due to his political connections, Ted was released after his second year of incarceration. And that's not all his connections appeared to do for him. Between the years 2000 and 2005, the Lord's Ranch income from the state rapidly climbed from 140000 in 2000 to $8.5 million in 2005. And there was really no explanation for the sudden increase. Bud Soul's buddy, Mike Huckabee, was the Arkansas state governor during that time. But as Bud grew older, his son, Ted, started to take over the business. Between April of 2007 and September of 2011, Ted Sol's two businesses, Maxis Inc. and Trinity Behavioral Health, formerly known as the Lord's Ranch, received more than $125 million in state-administered Medicaid funds. Meanwhile, Ted's residents were eating bologna sandwiches on the weekend, powdered scrambled eggs for breakfast, Suave's 98-cent shampoo, and hurling enough abuse allegations in Ted's direction to make the staunchest ranch supporter begin to question their own loyalty. Today, Ted's soul is out of prison and free to walk among us. As former residents of the Lord's Ranch ourselves, we decided to do some digging on more than four decades of residential mental health treatment that took place at this facility, known over the years as both the Lord's Ranch and Trinity Behavioral Health. We not only spoke to former residents, but we spoke to staff, contractors, and residents of the area. These stories often sound like conspiracy theories, but as the allegations over the years, over the decades, remain consistent among people who have never met each other and never crossed paths, you begin to wonder, what really happened at the Lord's Ranch?
3: Hello. Hello.
2: Hey. You
3: wanna just get right into it?
2: Yeah, let's do it.
3: All right. Well, um how did you end up at the Lord's Ranch?
2: So I had always had kind of emotional issues. I didn't have an easy childhood, but the tipping point was when I was sexually assaulted at 15. And it happened over a summer, and when I got back to school Literally everyone knew about it. And I hadn't told anyone except my grandparents and the police. So how did this get out? Right. Um, right. It was the guy that did it. He had told everyone his version. Sure. He got ahead of the game. And uh, I was relentlessly bullied for about a year and a half. I was getting notes in my locker telling me to do the world a favor and kill myself and giving me step-by-step instructions on how to do it. Um, I was being kicked, hit, spit on. The school stopped letting me go during passing periods. I had to wait until the bell rang, and then I was allowed five minutes to get to class because the violence and the altercations was so extreme. And over the course of this, I developed an eating disorder and became very antisocial. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I lost every friend I thought I had, and I was just horribly depressed. I was sent to the hospital after I had a full-on breakdown at school. Um, That was embarrassing.
4: Was that at Uh, Providence?
2: No, I was sent to Central Peninsula Hospital who called and coordinated with Providence to admit me to the Discovery unit. And I spent about two, three weeks at Discovery. Discovery applied for three different places for me to go, and the ranch was the only one that responded.
3: Do you remember what the other places were?
2: I know one was Provo Canyon, Utah. Yep. Yeah. I know, don't know what the third place was.
3: That is exactly my experience, too. It was one of three, and I can remember a place in Utah that I believe was Provo Canyon. But It most it
2: likely was, because Alaska up, sent a lot of kids to Provo. Yeah, For the I, record, Provo has very similar allegations of abuse.
3: That's what I heard, and it's an 18-month minimum, too, and that's why I was like, well, I hope I go to the ranch because I, I thought it was going to be six to nine months. And I was like, I just got to behave for six months, and I'm out of that place. Not the case, but... I yeah, was never I given
2: a timeline. Oh, really? Nope. I was not told anything about any timeline.
3: Maybe they caught on that the timelines weren't accurate and they just quit saying <laughs> them. I uh, don't know. Yeah, that that was, you know, that was one of the questions that I had asked myself. So, uh, so how was the ranch advertised to you?
2: I actually remember being in my room. I was in that corner room right at the beginning of the discovery unit. I don't know if you remember it. Um, there was, was two sides of the discovery room. unit. So Uh-oh. the right side, and it was that corner room that faced the dining area. The Dining area, and okay. yeah, so I was in that room. And I remember them coming in. It was this nurse with short, curly hair. And she was like handing me this pamphlet and telling me, you know, this is the place we think we're going to end up sending you. Um, And I was begging my family to let me go live with my aunt and uncle, thinking that maybe just starting over in a different community would help. Sure. And that was ultimately denied. And so I was sent to the ranch instead. Well, they handed me this pamphlet and I'm reading about it. And I, it was a black and white pamphlet, no color, but they had a couple like grainy photos on it and a uh, drawing of a church on the front. Did you
3: say like, the grainy and, uh, Christmas tree photo and stuff like that?
2: Kind of, yeah.
3: Yeah, I remember and, there being uh, a Christmas tree on mine.
2: They, It had all sorts of description. It was talking about how we would be allowed to take these different classes to cater to different interests like cooking and art classes and I was like, well, that sounds kind of fun. And it talked about how we would do horseback riding and taking care of animals. And like the impression I got from it was that it was going to be like a fun summer camp. Yeah. Like I thought it was going to be basically a summer camp, but I get therapy too.
3: Right. Exactly.
2: Because that's the impression it gave me. And it even said in the pamphlet that religious services are available, but not required. Right. Or something along those lines. It was, sure. it was that they were optional. And I specifically honed in on that because I asked them, do I have to do the religious stuff? And they said no. They said it was optional.
3: Yeah. And they gathered that by talking to the people or reading something, I take it.
2: Probably. I really will never know.
3: Yeah. Of course. Because they don't send people there. They don't send people to check it out. <laughs> they yeah. Just kinda... they, don't,
2: they don't do any kind of text. Yeah, they really? just
3: they just take their word for it. And okay, cool. That's what it is. Right on.
2: But it so, did sound fun. Like I was looking at this thing. I remember sitting on my bed and I was reading this over and looking at it and it had like a list of like maybe half a dozen different classes we could take and activities we would do and what the environment was being like and I was totally picturing myself riding horses and
0: Taking art classes and learning how to bake. I feel really alone, like no one is really listening, and there's definitely no one that can do something that's listening. They seem to want to put everyone in residential. Six out of the nine of us are being faced with going to residential. I'm wondering if there's a reason behind so many residential recommendations, like money, because it seems very suspicious and very infuriating to me. I hate being just another name and another number on one of their charts. They don't care what happens to us here. They really don't. Anytime I want to talk, they're always too busy with paperwork or reports or forms. Why am I here? They're not helping me. That's apparent. I don't want to go, but everyone seems so intent on throwing me in there. It isn't fair. I don't want to go to some reject facility in Arkansas with a bunch of fucked up teenagers. This is my senior year. It's supposed to be fun and full of good memories, not being locked away in some facility.
3: But let's say, so what was it like a week later that you were sent there or uh, how long was it?
0: Um, So I went
2: down over Memorial Day weekend. I was admitted to Providence May 15th. May 15th.
4: So
2: about two weeks, a little over two weeks.
3: Oh, okay. So it um, took a little bit to get everything square away.
2: Somewhere in there, yeah. I don't. I'd have to look at a calendar, but you know. Um, sure. So I was there for that. The last few days of May was when I got to the ranch. I only know this because I have letters dated from May. Um.
4: Do, do
3: you remember who that? picked? Do you remember who picked you up from the airport, or how did that work exactly?
2: What was his name, Hunter?
3: Hunter. He picked me up too. Hunter. Shorter yes, guy? he was
2: in like a minivan.
3: He always said, you know, after everything. I don't know if you ever picked up we on were, that. Because I, I, I spent, you I probably spent allowed less time. Oh, you, wait, what? We weren't
2: you, allowed to talk. The drive from the airport to the ranch. I kept trying to talk to my mom and he was like, you need to be quiet.
3: Other than that cheap little pamphlet, that's your first red flag.
2: Like we we drove the whole way there quietly. And I just kind of looked at my mom, and she's looking at me like super awkwardly. And she talked to him, and they had conversations the whole time, but I wasn't allowed to talk.
3: Yeah, that's a sign of things to come. My God, that's that's really bizarre. Why did he specify why you couldn't talk? No. That's kind of a. How long was the drive? Did he pick you up in a Jonesboro? Was,
2: no, I drove, in, drove into ten, I was in Tennessee. I was I flew into Tennessee. Jeez. It was a long drive.
3: Yeah, yeah. No kidding. My gosh. And they wouldn't and let you so talk I at all. That and I is was like I
2: can't even talk to my mom. Like what? They wouldn't <laughs> let me.
3: Wow, that is unbelievable. I can't say that I remember that happening to me, but I
4: think I yeah, slept. That, I slept most had of like the way. A,
2: the van had the captain seats in that middle row. Me and my mom were sitting there, and then it was Hunter. And I think there was someone else with him. I don't remember that specifically.
4: Mm, okay,
2: But I wasn't allowed to talk. I just had to sit there and twiddle my thumb.
3: Wow. That's really bizarre. So uh, you get there. You get to the ranch. You, your mom and you probably look over some paperwork, fill, up some, fill out grandpa. some paperwork. Oh, and your grandfather. Okay.
2: My and- grandpa followed in a rental car.
3: Okay. Okay. So I
2: refused to go unless my grandpa came with.
3: Yeah, because you weren't you weren't really you weren't really seeing eye to eye with your mom at that time, right?
2: No. Uh-uh.
3: I see, I see.
2: And so, uh so part of why I agreed to go is my paternity was unknown and it had been my whole life, and my mom had never told me. And she told me that if I cooperated with this and I didn't run off in the airport, didn't try to make book break for it, that she would Give me the name of my dad. And that was the one thing I wanted more than anything else in the world.
3: Absolutely.
2: And she did. She handed me a sticky note with two names on it.
3: Why two? Because she wasn't sure Uh, herself?
2: Those were the two possibilities.
3: Oh, I see. And did you ever figure it out?
2: I did, but neither one of those men were it. Uh, That's a whole nother story, but. Okay. (laughs) basically a private and get one private investigator, three skip tracers, 10 years, eight legal DNA tests and three autosomal DNA tests and about 16 months of spending full time work learning it. And I found my dad. I could rant about I could rant about DNA all day, but we're not here to talk about that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, well, for me and how I ended up at the ranch, I, I wasn't a very well behaved child. Um, I no was
4: kidding,
3: yeah, I was not uh, so i it wasn't uh mine's not as much of a sob story as it is. I was upset because I moved to Alaska. I hated Alaska. I hated Nikiski, Alaska. I missed the city life. I wanted everything to be the way it used to be. I remember when we go to Anchorage, I'd always want a Papa John's pizza because they didn't have Papa John's down there and just little things like that. like it was always so cool to go to Anchorage. I'd see highways that looked kind of familiar, like You know, it was it was always really nice. Anyways, um, I got in a lot of trouble at school and my eighth grade year, I ended up getting, I believe I'm trying to remember if I was full on expelled or if my parents just pulled me out while I was on the verge of being expelled. At any rate, I ended up getting homeschooled. I had a bad temper. And I remember my parents had rented a rug doctor and I threw their rug doctor at my mom's grand piano. And
4: hey.
3: yeah, I was, uh, like I said, out of control, uh, broke a piece off of the grand piano. Those things are not cheap. And I broke the rug doctor, which was rental and, uh, they ended up having the cops come and I kind of went through the same process that you did by going to central peninsula. And then I was taken to, uh, the discovery unit and I had been taken there before. I had actually been arrested on my birthday at one point for doing a fit on my birthday. Uh, I was, they, they thought I might have bipolar disorder like my dad because of how out of control I would get. And, uh, anyways, so I was kind of used to getting therapy. I started getting that when I was uh, around nine years old, after my dad had uh, committed suicide, they they thought a lot of my behavior had to do with that. But um, I I don't know that to be true. I just I always just felt like it was who I was. So I go up to Providence, and then this is my second time at Providence. So usually you go if you go there a second time, they'll send you to a long term treatment facility. Um, I believe this was my See,
2: mine was my first time. I that was my first time at Discovery.
3: Really? So typically, yep. So typically, yeah, you'll go there for a short term, and it's almost like a little kick in the pants. Like, hey, you know, let's let's just talk about this a little bit, and you know, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? And then you, you're you're out of there in a couple of weeks. Well, uh, that didn't happen. I, I went. I ended up going to the Lord's Ranch. So we sat down. And they they were talking about the options. And one of the options was Provo Canyon in Utah, and I was told that it was a minimum of 18 months if I went there. I was told if I went to the place in Arkansas, the Lord's Ranch, that it would probably be six to nine months. And the third place, I cannot remember for the life of me what it was, but it was ruled out pretty quickly that I could go to that. And it ended up being the place in Arkansas, and I was like, okay. Well, that's good. I'll go to the place that's not a minimum of a year and a half, and I'll get out quicker. So that's probably going to be better. Sound um, logic, right? You know, I didn't. I didn't care about horses. I didn't. I didn't expect it to be fun. There was nothing in me that said this was going to be a good time. I'm just looking for the shortest stay. That was all I cared about. It's, so if like
2: that's funny that we were. So opposite there.
3: Well, I mean, we were there kind of for opposite reasons, too. I mean, yeah, you might have had some emotional issues stemming from something and maybe mine stemmed from something and I just didn't realize it. But regardless, I I actually was not a well-behaved kid for as long as I can remember. I was expelled from two different schools in elementary school, um, fourth and fifth grade. So anyways... uh, I Hunter picked us up from the airport, and for some reason I want to say it was in Jonesboro, not in Tennessee, but I'd have to double check with my mom on that. Um, I don't, I'm
2: like 99% sure mine was Tennessee.
3: Well, I know I fell asleep in the car, so I don't know that talking was really an issue. I was passed out, and I remember waking up, and we're on the dirt road, and I'm looking over to my right, and I'm seeing all these kids – some are playing basketball on the other side of the church, or, you know, they're all hanging out, and I was like, oh, geez, I want another one of these stupid places, and I was just annoyed, didn't want <laughs> to go, and um and I, yeah, and then we did the whole paperwork thing and everything, and they sent me to the Joshua house, which was usually for the younger kids, and I believe I was like 14 at the time, so there was a couple of kids that, that were there that were older than me uh, at the Joshua house. Um some of them were like 17, I think. They were bigger kids, but typically what they would do with the Joshua House is put the, put the youngest younger kids there. Well, while I was there, it was probably my first week. We were. It was one morning, and I think we were getting ready to go to school or church. And uh, this one kid, we you know how we always had to make our beds in the morning, where we had to like yeah where we had to make it I a certain that. we had to tuck it in a certain way, and then like. Fold over the pillow. Fold. So,
2: side note, side note on the bed. Yeah. No one told me there was a specific way I had to make it. And so my very first day, they're like, you need to make your bed. So I go in there and I just make my bed. You know, I throw the sheets <laughs> over it, put the pillow on it. I got ripped a new one.
3: Oh, gee. they didn't even explain it I was ripped to a new
2: you. one. <laughs> no and i'm just standing here like what do you want me to do they're like well that's not how you make a bed i'm like this is how i've always made my bed at home
3: (laughs) i think they actually told me or maybe one of the residents did so uh yeah but anyways we were you know and this kid was new too because and i only know he was new because he had long hair and i and (laughs) yeah yeah you don't have long hair and uh You've been there for a couple months, that's for sure. I think it was like once a month we would get our hair cut or hair shaved. And uh, so this guy, he did something wrong with how he made his bed. And uh, the staff member walked in there. And bear in mind, this staff member, he he worked for the uh, police department. He's actually the former sheriff of the police department. And I don't know if he worked there at the time and then worked at the Lord's Ranch part-time. Or if he was just former police officer, I can't recall that, but this is that was okay. that was Randy Barber that's the guy who's running for the uh Randolph county judge right now he
2: yeah, so when I saw his photo, I immediately recognized him. I would not have remembered the name, but I recognized his photo,
3: yes, yeah, see, I knew his his first name started with an r I was like maybe a robber, but yeah, and then, you know, he's you know he's aged some since I last saw him. It's been a long time, you know. But um, he was the first staff member that I saw actually attack a kid. And the kid was timid. I don't even recall the kid screaming as much as he was just like, it just seemed like his heart was pounding and he was nervous as he's getting thrown around. I saw him slam him into a dresser and crank his arm behind his back and... And I was just like, "Oh wow, we're in, we're in a place where they'll do that, okay?" Because my understanding was always you have to be a threat to yourself or others if a staff member is to restrain you. Well, not only was it not a restraint, it was an attack. But the kid hadn't done anything threatening, so that yeah. that was at that point I was like, "Okay, that that's where I'm at." Well, there's this guy there. His name is Jason Wilson, I think. He tells me that he's going on a home visit and I had snuck $400 dollars in so I wasn't going to give him all the money I said but I but I trusted him because I wasn't familiar with how many snitches there were in these facilities so I said, oh, yeah so I said, well I have 400 bucks on me I'll give you 50 bucks if you call my mom and let them know that they are abusing kids here." and uh, he ratted me out. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting at the bench one day and this one kid walks up to me, grabs me by my shoulders and he says, 400 bucks is a lot of money. And I looked at him I said, yeah, so it's 500. What's your point? And he just kind of walked away. So after the kid walked up to me and told me that, it wasn't long after that Tyree uh, called me over to his van that he was sitting in. He's sitting in the driver's seat. Stan is in the passenger seat. And... He starts interrogating me about the money. Where's the money? I was like, what money? He's like, you know what I'm talking about. Where's the $400? Where are you keeping it? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have $400. Uh, and this went on for a while. And then finally, he got to the point where he grabs me by my shirt. I remember what shirt I was wearing. I knew he was a former NFL player. And I could, and that's the only reason I remember because I was wearing a Rams jersey. I was like, maybe he wasn't a Rams fan. I don't know, but the guy, <laughs> <laughs> but the guy grabbed my Rams jersey, twisted, it, pulls me into his face. We're like practically nose to nose, and he said, "If you don't give me that money right now, I'm going to take you in the back, and I'm going to do something that me and you are both going to regret." And I had
2: ju- that's not threatening,
3: right? And I'm, I'm like, okay, I just saw this kid get beat up for not making his bed right. They're clearly pissed off I have $400. And uh, so I was like, I'm not going to throw hands with a professional athlete. No, thank you. I said, okay. And I gave him the money. <laughs> that was enough for me. You
2: don't think 14-year-old you was strong enough? Yeah,
3: I wasn't going to risk that one. No way, Jose. Yeah, I don't blame I, I, I don't think 25-year-old me was strong enough. That guy was a professional athlete. That guy... I mean there was uh, there I had no chance it could have been a two or so, three two or three of me on him, and I probably would have lost it was he was he, one of the yeah he was bad <laughs> what,
2: oh, I don't doubt it, but like one of the staff members in the female houses, her name was Jan, you've probably heard about Jan Curtis, Um huh? oh yes, she was pregnant, like heavily pregnant, not just like okay, I've gained the recommended twenty I mean she was heavy. And she would sit on you in a PRT with her massive belly. But, you know, and between her and several other staff members who were all of the bigger variety, it was scary that they were doing PRTs.
3: It seems dangerous for the baby.
2: I would think so, yeah.
3: I mean, to literally get physical with a teen that's supposedly troubled, I mean, she must have known that you weren't going to be a threat to the baby. I mean,
2: personally, she. J- I've had five kids. I would not be fighting a angry teenager while pregnant.
3: Right now, why did she put you in the PRT?
2: Oh, she didn't do it to me. I saw her do it to other girls. Oh,
3: okay, sorry. So why did why did why was she doing it to them?
2: Um, do you remember any usually, examples? I I remember a lot of PRTs happening. I don't remember all the circumstances, but a lot of times they were for attitude. Yeah. Um. There was one that I remember in particular. There was this little girl there. I swear I felt like she was my baby sister. She arrived there after me, and this girl was so tiny, like 90 pounds, soaking wet, and she was only like 13 years old.
4: Mm -hmm. Like,
2: she was this tiny little girl, and I just felt like I had to protect her all the time because the other girls were awful to her, and she was just so shy and so timid. Yeah. And we had had phone calls. It was like a Monday night because that's when we got our phone calls. And she was so upset when we got back from the phone call. They let us go to our rooms for a little bit, and it was time to come out for Bible study. And she's standing in the doorway of her room, just kind of quietly sniffling. And they're like, it's time for Bible study. And she's like, I just want to go to bed. And they're like, well, it's time for Bible study. And she's like, I really just want to go to bed. And she's like struggling to even speak. She's just crying softly and sadly. Like she's not rage crying or anything. And they said, well, it's time for Bible study. You need to come join the group. And she's like, no, I don't want to. And Jan tried to grab her. And she pulled her arm back. And next thing I know, this tiny little girl is on the floor, her face in the carpet. Jan's on top of her. Some other staff member is helping her. And the girl looks up and there's just blood pouring out of her nose. And I was so terrified because I'm like, this girl is tiny. She's a baby.
3: So did her nose hit the floor and that's why it was bleeding, you think?
2: I I think so. I mean, obviously, I don't know. But I remember being so scared and I didn't know what to do because I wanted to help her. But I also knew that there was literally nothing I could do to help her.
3: Now, where was Jan? Sit? Uh, how is she? What position? Can you describe the position of each staff member? You said another one was helping her. So, uh, they, so they Jan pulled was on it,
2: top of her. Like,
3: on her back? She's
2: on, they, they did the total PRT where they shove your chest into the floor, your arms are behind you. And Jan's sitting kind of straddled across her waist with her knees on the floor. Okay. And so the girl's on her stomach.
3: And what was the other staff member doing?
2: She was standing next to her, like, trying to hold her arms and acting like she's being helpful. I can't remember that staff member's name.
3: Right, okay. So. Started with a J. Just kind of making sure she didn't have any limbs available to retaliate.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I
3: see. And uh,
2: And I just remember being so upset because I'm like, all she was doing was crying. She wanted to go to bed. Yeah. That's all she wanted. She wasn't threatening anyone. She wasn't. She pulled her arm back when Jan tried to grab her.
3: Sure natural instinct
2: you like if i come over to you and i'm telling you to do something you don't want to do and i grab your arm what are you going to reflexively do
3: yeah instinctively you're gonna pull away you're gonna
2: you're gonna pull your arm back yeah it wasn't inappropriate behavior she wasn't being disrespectful she was upset
3: but they couldn't see it as that they saw it as you're not doing what exactly what i'm telling you to do at this very moment
2: yep We were being defiant. That little girl was being defiant.
3: Do you know what time of night it was when that happened?
2: It was evening because we would have like morning Bible study. Then we would walk back to the house and we'd have lunchtime Bible study after we ate. And then we would have an evening one. Sometimes we had an afternoon one too. But we didn't always do four, but we always did three. Wow. Every day. That's
3: a lot of Bible study.
2: I don't know how often you guys did it, but we had them three times a day minimum.
3: I got to be honest with you, I I don't think we did it that much. I don't I don't really recall. I mean, I remember sometimes we did it, but on like a, a regular schedule like what you're describing, I don't think we had to do it like that. Um
2: I wonder if that was the difference between my time and your time.
3: Maybe. I mean, because you came right after I left. I mean, you got there yeah. you what when I think it was what you say like at the end of may and i 2006 2006 okay and oh yeah and then i well okay never mind i left in 2005. so
2: okay so you were a year ahead of me
3: yeah it was february i believe it was february 2005 is when i got out of there and um
2: the bible studies were so disturbing in nature and initially i didn't realize it um because it just seemed like they were doing a bible study but every Bible study had a topic. They would pick some sin, some topic, something. And they would throw in some Bible verses and they'd want us to apply it to our lives and like how we've committed that sin, right? Right. And that makes sense for a Bible study, except whatever we said would be used against us later.
3: Oh. Well, like, how does so? Does that make sense? How so?
2: Well, if you confess that you did drugs once. Then they would make sure to bring it up all the time.
3: So it wasn't a and safe space. Anything. It was an uh,
4: ammunition it collection. <laughs> it was more like,
2: yeah, they were trying to blackmail us. And one and if if you were making them mad, then that's when they would pull it out. They'd be like, Oh, well, you said, you know? And there was one Bible study in particular, and I think I've told you about this one, that I was just furious and like I was I think that was the angriest I had ever been in my life we were talking about premarital sex Mm -hmm. and we were basically expected to go around in a circle and explain how premarital sex ruined our lives.
3: Ruined or would ruin?
2: Yes. Ruined because we were basically all dirty hoes. Um, I gotcha. Yeah. They had that attitude. There was a lot of purity culture going on. Yeah. So they had purity culture. Big time. Like the dress code, I couldn't have anything below my collarbones because I might make the boy sin. I might make someone think sinful thoughts. And then that sin is going to be on me. And when we get to heaven, God is going to judge me for that time that I wore a shirt below my collarbones and some boy thought some dirty thing about me.
3: Below your collarbone. Um,
2: Wow. Yeah. We couldn't wear anything below our collarbones. My grandparents bought me a whole new wardrobe before I got to the ranch and I could only wear like two pieces of it. And my grandpa's not going to dress me like a hooker.
3: Here, you can wear these pajamas. There you go.
2: Yeah. And so, (laughs) anyway, we have this Bible study. We're going around. We're supposed to be explaining how premarital sex ruined our life. And I'm sitting here like, I don't want to do this. And I go around. I'm like, well, I don't really think it did. And, like, Jan is getting mad. She's like, of course you don't, because Samantha's going to hell. She would always tell the other girls that Samantha's going to hell, because I was vocally atheist while I was there. And, um... Anyway, wow. this one girl is really upset, and I think, I think her name was Tara, but I'm not sure. Anyway, she's upset, and she's looking really, like, concerned, like she wants to say something, but she's not sure she should. And she finally pipes up, and she goes, well, what if you didn't want to have sex, but they made you? And Jan starts telling us, well, it doesn't matter. You still participated in sexual activity, and you need to ask Jesus for forgiveness you're unclean, you're not a virgin anymore, like just pushing it. And I remember being so shocked. Like I was shocked to my core. I was like, are you serious?
3: So being raped there, is a sin on yeah. behalf of the female who is raped? Yes. Wow. And I was
2: sitting there like just shaken. I was like, I'm a sexual assault victim. I wanted nothing to do with that. I fought back. And these people are telling me it's my fault and that I'm a sinner for it? Yeah. And I, I was so stunned I couldn't speak. And then they wanted us to go around in a circle. And they were prying for details from this girl, which she very reluctantly gave. And they wanted us to go around and discuss what she could have done differently to make sure it didn't happen. And I'm still furious about that shit. That is so victim blaming. Do
3: you remember what she even had to say in response when they asked what she could have done?
2: I don't remember. Probably kicked them or. I know one of them. I don't know. Was like, well, don't wear clothes that are provocative. Mm. Uh, Don't go alone with guys, even if you know them. Um, Make sure you have protection (laughs) with you, like weapons (laughs) and stuff, like all these different things. And I'm like, it got to me, and I was so angry. I was so furious. I was almost shaking. And I just looked at them. I was like, you know what? You don't hang around, rape it. Yeah. And I got sent to my room for that.
3: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because
2: apparently that wasn't a valid method to prevent sexual assault.
3: Well, I mean, it's kind of obvious. You know, it's. <laughs> I, oh my gosh. Wow. That is. Yeah. I don't even know what to say that was, to
2: that. That was the worst. Bible studies that I was part of there.
3: And you get sent to your room for that. Yep. Unbelievable. Because I
2: wasn't complying with their angle. And a lot of the girls would, they would just, they would go along with whatever they thought they were expected to say.
3: Right. Right. They're trying to get out of there, you know, fake it till you make it. That was the, that was, that was the whole idea, you know, for most of the the girls
2: would fake it till they made it. Right. Um, And it was, it was common because you'd see these girls admitted. They're kicking and screaming, fighting every step of the way, and two weeks later, they're crying on the altar, begging Jesus for forgiveness.
3: Right. Yeah. Exactly. It
2: was all a show because that was how you survived there.
3: Yeah. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly right. Cause they did that. The reason... e- it was weird. They did that every time at the at the ranch too. Oh, yeah. And you, you you've been to other churches, haven't you?
2: Oh, yeah. I was raised uh, Methodist.
3: Okay, so going to the altar at the end of a service, that's not like—that happens sometimes. Some people do that. When I was at the ranch, it seemed like it was part of the routine. You know what I mean? Yeah. At the end, end, everyone would go up there. And uh, I remember this one time we were taken to a church, and uh, it was a different church. Uh, Mike Davis took us there. It was me and some other guys. And uh, at the end of the sermon, all those guys, or a bunch of the guys, go up and they start praying at the altar. Well, the people at the church think that this sermon really got to them, but really they're just doing the same routine that they did at the other church. Like, they're, like, coming up and giving them back rubs and stuff, like... Good for you, good for you, you're turning your life over to the Lord stuff. But really, they were just doing the same routine that they did at the ranch. They just weren't they didn't understand that that was that that was the norm at the ranch. It wasn't a it was
2: expected.
3: Right. It wasn't a special there was nothing special about what had just happened. They weren't over they weren't moved or overwhelmed. They were just doing what was expected.
2: It was a way of showing compliance
3: yeah yeah
2: and you would be singled out if you didn't do these things, if you weren't just moved to tears at every single service, you were not you were not making progress,
3: yeah. And that's the other thing too is they don't tell you your estimated discharge date or all right well if if everything goes well if all goes according to plan then you're going to be out of here July 3rd or you know what have you and nope. there was never any of that you never knew when you were going to get out in your case you were closing in on 18 and they were and yes. so typically when people graduate they get out but even then they tried to make it to where you would have to stay longer so they could make sure they oh, could yeah. just, like...
2: let's Let's talk about that. Yeah.
3: So, uh, why don't you go ahead and share that story, because uh, that one blows my mind.
2: So, part of the reason I was so vocally atheist and part of the reason I just did not give a crap was because I'm like, I'm going to turn 18 in six months. So, the longest they're keeping me in is six months. That was my logic in my head. Um, so, early on into my stay, my family tried to get me out. They had read some stuff about the ranch on some forum, and they just weren't comfortable with it. And there were, like, little red flags popping up throughout this whole situation. Um, And they were told that if they tried to remove me, they would be forced as mandated reporters to report my family to Child Protective Services in Arkansas. Now, CPS in Arkansas is run by DHS. Just so you know, DHS is the people that Ted Stoll was convicted of bribing. Um, You can see the conflict of interest pretty clearly right there. Sure. So the threat was essentially that CPS would get involved, they would take custody of me, and then I would be forced to stay at the ranch till I was 21. So my family left me there, but they were up the ranch's butt pretty much every day. My family called that ranch every single day. They made demands, they argued, like, they were a pain in their their side yeah and uh so then about a month before i was supposed to turn 18 after taking message after message after message from my mother and not returning them not returning calls uh they called my mom trying to convince her and persuade her that i was not ready to leave that i hadn't completed the program and that i needed much more intensive therapy i needed more time and that they can't make me stay and so what they need to do is they need to file with the courts in Arkansas, I think Arkansas, um, that I am incompetent. They needed to file me as incompetent so that the ranch could keep me until I was 21.
3: How would, how would they define and, incompetent, just to be clear, when they well, say that?
2: From what my mom said, they had implied that their doctor would testify that, yes, I was incompetent.
3: Okay, so you basically you were you not, were incapable of being a legal adult and handling yourself yep, and all holding down yep. a job, things like that. Is is that pretty much now, what they're trying keep to get in at?
2: Mind, yeah, yeah. Keep in mind that prior to my admission to the ranch, I had been in AP science classes, marine biology. I finished marine biology with one hundred and fifteen percent. You know, like I was, I, I got good grades. I was smart. I had a job before I got there. I just had emotional issues stemming from trauma and some childhood problems that all cumulatively screwed me over.
3: Yeah. And you were only getting more of those at the ranch.
2: Yes. I wasn't stupid. Like I, even after leaving the ranch, I managed as an adult just fine. Like I struggled like any other young adult first getting on their feet, but I wasn't incompetent.
4: Sure. Sure. Wow, and
2: so the idea that they were willing and wanting to get this in front of a judge in Arkansas isn't that sketchy? That's
3: pretty terrifying, considering how many connections they have. Declare
2: an Alaskan child, yeah,
3: Um, yeah, and there's they
2: wanted to declare me incompetent.
3: And yeah, you were basically in their world at that point because they had so yes. many connections. I mean, you look at all the different. I mean, they had connections to judges. They had connections to politicians. They had connections to police officers. I mean, that's why it took the FBI to get them down. It was a federal thing. It wasn't. It wasn't and an in-state thing.
2: I'm super weirded out that their doctor would be willing to declare me incompetent.
3: And that's Doctor Brown.
2: I don't know if it would have been Dr. Brown or Dr. Dixon. Interesting note about Dr. Dixon. They advertised him as being a PhD on their websites, right? I have copies of all of this. He doesn't have a PhD. He has a PsyD. Now what's, they are similar, but they are not the same.
3: What's the difference between the two?
2: Um, a PhD has more emphasis on research and clinical studies,
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, where PsyD is more about actual practice versus research.
3: I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you.
2: And like, neither one's bad. Sure. But the fact that they were falsely advertising what he had is very suspicious.
3: Yeah. That's, and that's one of a couple of things that they were falsely advertising on that page, the which is scary because there wasn't you know, that much stuff on that page to begin with. So if they already got that many lies on there, well, you know what I mean?
2: So a side D isn't unimpressive. Like, it's. It's valid, you know. It's a valid degree. It's a valid certification. Like, you know, he he's qualified to do everything he was doing. But why would they advertise it as a PhD? The only explanation I can come up with is that PhD is more recognized than PsyD, sure, by the average person.
3: Yeah, I mean, if I'm being completely candid, I'd never really heard of a uh, D until you had said it. I, I'm I'm familiar yeah. and I'm familiar with a PhD. It's completely so. Yeah, I mean, it's just a matter – it's really just a matter of what they thought might sound better, I would guess. Either that or they just didn't even know CIDs existed and they, they were incompetent and we should go talk to a judge and keep them at the Lord's Ranch forever.
2: <laughs> and I think that's what their plan was.
3: And Yeah, and, and that was the big thing. Because, uh, so uh, when I, I know with my situation, when I finally got out of there, and I had already – basically wrote coded letters to my mom and she was able to get everything deciphered and everything and uh we were I, I I was I was able to let her know that I was getting beaten there um and they sent
2: See, I wasn't that smart. I didn't think about coding anything. Oh. Um how I got letters through and they hated this about me. I could write and write and write by hand. I mean, it, if it worked, or you're
3: smart. I mean, you yeah. <laughs>
2: Most of the girls hated writing by hand. Like they just hated it. They didn't even want to write a page of lines. They didn't want to write a one page essay because they just hated writing, right? Right. I didn't care. I would write and write and write because I used to take notes in all my classes. I would have notebooks full of notes for every single class, right? Mm-hmm. So I was accustomed to writing by hand and a lot of it. So I would write a letter to every single person on my contact list, every single person. And they, um, That would be like 12 to 20 letters, and I would write them every single day. And I would write variations of the exact same letter. Oh, hey, we had this for breakfast. We went to school, blah, 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 blah. Boring stuff, right? Right. And I would hand my stack of letters over, which, by the way, they did screen and read and would rip up in front of you if it said anything negative. I learned this very early in my stay. Right. And so I would have this stack of letters, and I would slip in one where I'm just desperately pleading to go home. Right. About three-quarters of the way down the stack because they'd read the first four, five, six and get bored because it's all the same letter six times.
3: Right. It gets mundane.
2: Yes. And so then they would go through. And there was, there was one incident where I had a phone call cut because I asked my grandpa. I was like, can you send me to a different facility? Can you send me a juvenile anywhere but here? And they cut my call. It was Jan that cut my call.
3: How did how did she cut your call? Was there did she have something? I can't remember how it was set up. Did she have a button she could press, or did she just unplug it from the so wall? Or
2: they had a portable next to the office. It's just a little portable building. They right. had a built-in table along one wall, and in the center they had like an office phone with like lines. You know, like you would see a secretary have, right, yeah. with multiple lines. And then on the left and right of that office phone, there were two regular phones that did not have any buttons. And she would make the call and transfer it to one of the lines and you would take your call and they would sit there and they would listen to you. And if you said anything negative, they would cut your call.
3: Right. Yeah.
2: And my, my family told me they would try to call back. They'd tell them that phone time is over. Samantha lost her phone privilege, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. And so I had spit that out really fast. Cause I knew my call was going to get cut. And I told my grandpa, get me out of here. Send me a juvenile anywhere. And she cut my call. And so I wrote a letter, and I had snuck it in my pile like I was doing routinely, mm-hmm. and it got through, telling my grandpa, this is not the place for me. I need to be in a therapy-based place, not Bible boot camp where they're shoving religion down your throat page by page. Right. Um, just begging him, send me anywhere. I don't care where you send me. Just get me out of here. And so my grandpa or my mom or someone, I'm not sure who called, someone called the ranch telling them, hey... You know, we need to talk about Samantha's letter. We need to talk about, you know, switching her to a different facility. She is really unhappy there. And I got pulled out of class.
3: Oh, so they brought up the letter? and Oh, boy. Yeah.
2: Yep. So I don't know if it was the same day or the next day. I don't know the timeline between my family calling and when I got pulled out of class. But I was in the middle of school. I was in the middle of my class. And... A female staff member. I don't remember her name. I remember what she looks like, but not her name. And she came and got me along with a male staff member. And they take me to one of those little counseling rooms. Like at the entry, they had like two chairs and that was basically it. Mm -hmm. And they told me I needed to write a letter to my family explaining that I didn't mean what I said and to make it believable. Wow. And until I'm sitting here, I was like, why?
3: They're making you write this letter in front of them.
2: Yep. mm -hmm. And they said that I wasn't leaving that room until I wrote it. Wow. And I'm just sitting here like, what? You know, why? What? And I still have that letter. And it's so funny because you can look at that letter and all my other letters. And my handwriting is different. My tone is different. Yeah. It doesn't jive with the rest of them. They
3: were holding you hostage.
2: Yeah, they I were was sitting holding in the room, being hostage. forced to write this letter.
3: That is, that I mean, that's like something the mafia does before they kill somebody—have them write a suicide note. You know what I mean? Like something like that. Right? That is, that's so, that's so scary. They uh.
2: And I'm sitting here like I don't mean a word of this. I don't want to be here. Right. And I tried telling them that, and they're like, "Well, you need to be here." I was like, "Well, how do you know what I need?"
3: And say, "Well, why? Why do I need to lie then? Why is that? In, oh, why yeah. should I lie? I mean, I mean, that's breaking one of the Ten Commandments, right? You oh, guys want to start talking Bible trouble. study?
2: I got in trouble for pointing something out to them. Um, I actually got put in the isolation room for this, and I had to write a like five thousand word essay. Um they had me writing lines for something and I can't remember what it was. It was something stupid. And I asked the staff member, I was like, Hey, I have a question about, you know, the Bible. And she's getting all interested. Like, Oh, maybe we've got to her. Maybe she's seeing the light, you know, like they're all like, I piqued their interest because they're like, Samantha's coming around. And so I asked this staff member, I still don't remember her name. It started with a J. Um, I asked her, if I am forcing someone else to sin and I know I'm doing it, does that mean I'm sinning too? And she's like, well, if you know that you're making them sin, absolutely, yeah. You you can't force other people to commit sins without sinning yourself. I was like, all right, so you are sinning 2,000 times by making me lie 2,000 times on this piece of paper. And she just stared at me. I was like, "I'm I'm lying every time i write this it's a lie yeah <laughs> and you're making me do it and so i'm put in the isolation room for that
3: how how does she even respond does she just freeze for a second and, uh, and decided she it was, was really disrespectful quiet.
2: oh yeah she told me i was being disrespectful i was mocking god and that i was twisting things to suit myself suit what i my angle basically <laughs> no <laughs>
3: it's the other way around
2: they never gave me lines after that, though. They did make me write essays, and I never got lines again. Interesting. And so that, so the incident where they made me rewrite the letter was one of two times that I was ever um, pulled out of class. I was only pulled out of class twice, aside from, like, for therapy. Um, the other time, I am a lafton, Like, you're from the same community I am. Mm-hmm. You know what it's like here. We don't have snakes. Nope. Okay? There's no snakes here. If I want to see a snake, I go to the pet store. No
3: reptiles, just amphibians.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and so this was early in my stay down there. I want to say the first couple months. I am walking to school, and, like, there's this little ditch kind of across the road from the girls' houses. And I see Philander down there. And he's got a shovel. And I'm looking at him, like, trying to figure out what he's doing. And he just cuts this massive snake's head off like he just jabs this shovel down and slices a snake in half yeah i almost barfed well first of all i would have barfed just seeing a live snake okay But seeing a snake get decapitated was extra (laughs) barf-worthy. Like, I felt sick to my stomach the rest of the day, and every time I thought of it, I seriously started gagging. Oh, God. It was just so gross to me. Yeah. It was so gross to me. I I swear, I was traumatized by seeing that. I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) And so, like, I mean, it's not something we see in Alaska. Right. It's not something we have here. And uh, anyway, I go to bed that night, and I wake up, and Jan and some of the other girls are touching me and praying. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? They're, they're asking God to cast out my demons and blah, blah, blah. And oh I have no my idea what's happening.
3: word.
2: And I'm like, why are these people touching me? I jump up out of bed. And I'm like, get your hands off me. Stop touching me. Where, what is this?
3: Where are they touching you? Just like your oh, arms, on my
2: shoulders and my arms, you know, yeah. kind of n- nowhere inappropriate. Sure, um, my head, but I'm just like, why is everyone touching me? I woke up from a dead sleep to it.
3: Was this staff members and residents who were doing this?
2: Yes, yes. Wow, it was. It was. Do you? Re- I don't remember who it was. I think it was Jan.
3: Do you recall how many people were in there?
2: Uh, I want to say like three residents. Three, two or three.
3: Two or three residents and then one staff member? And then one staff member. Okay. It
2: might have been Jan, but I'm not certain on that one.
3: Yeah, because typically if it was at nighttime and people were in bed, there would be a night shift person that would come in. I
2: don't remember the exact details except that I didn't want people touching. Yeah. So I have no idea what's going on. They tell us all to get back in bed. I'm like, what the hell was that? (laughs) You know, like I am shaking in Alaskan. Okay, (laughs) and so I go to school the next day, just like all the other kids, and I get pulled out of class and I'm having to talk to Stan and some other guy. And then there's a female staff member there. So there's three adults that are talking to me and they're asking me if I want to explain what happened last night. And I'm sitting here like, I don't know yeah, what happened. I want
3: to ask night. you to explain I'm, what happened last yeah. night.
2: <laughs> I woke up and people are touching me and praying and asking God to cast out my demons. I have no freaking idea what happened. Right? Yeah. So they're like, no, you need to explain what you did. And I am utterly clueless just staring at them like, I went to bed? Like, I don't know what you want from me. Right. Right. Apparently, I had been sleep talking. I sleep talk. I still sleep talk. And I told my roommate in my sleep, don't worry about the snake under the papers. I'll take care of it in the morning. And because it was a snake, obviously, that's demonic. Right? Right. I know. I don't remember doing this. And apparently, they were very salty about the fact they were salty that they had to search the whole house thinking there was a snake in the house. I don't remember any of this. I have no recollection of any of it. And I am basically being told that I'm going to be kept longer because I'm playing games.
4: Because you and spoke
2: I even in your sleep. Him, I'm like, yep, because I sleep talk. And I, I explained to him, I was like, I'm from Alaska. We don't have snakes there. I am pretty sure seeing philander decapitate a snake I think that just stuck out in my brain a little.
3: Yeah. What? Like,
2: I've never seen a snake like that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's always surprising.
2: Yeah, and like being Alaskan, you know, obviously going to stick out as abnormal. Yeah. So maybe my brain was just trying to process it in my sleep.
3: You don't know which ones are poisonous, you know, what they do, what they yeah. feed on. You don't know anything. You just know, that's a snake. Oh, my God.
2: It's a nope rope.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's exactly what they call them. Jeez. And so
2: I was basically being scolded and lectured for sleep talking and causing such an inconvenience for them having to check the house for snakes. And I, I even asked Dan, I was like, why didn't anyone just wake me up and ask me? Yeah. Because I would have been like, what? And then it would have been pretty obvious I was sleep talking. Yeah. Ooh, they start touching me and laying hands on me and praying. So,
3: what I don't understand is that n- not only do they think there's a snake in the house, but that there's a demon in you because there's a snake in the house? It's one or the other? Know. Like, maybe, okay, know, there's either there's e- like e- there's either a snake out. in this house or there's a demon in this girl because she just said something about a snake. <laughs> like, really? Th- that, like, you would make terrible detectives. What is wrong with you people? I know! <laughs> and
2: I'm just, I don't remember doing this and I'm in trouble for it. And I did, I did have to write lines over that. Cause that was before I stopped getting lines You
3: wrote lines for that.
2: Yeah. It was like, I will not lie about snakes or something
3: in my sleep. Like, are you, are yeah. you guys going to start taping my mouth? Like, what do you want me to do?
2: I don't know. Like it was the dumbest thing ever.
3: Oh my goodness.
2: But I was so alarmed because I wake up with people I don't really know and people I don't really like touching me.
3: Wow, I cannot yeah, say that that ever smile. happened. <laughs> actually, the night staff so, that we had, I actually, I, I actually liked the, the night staff we had. Uh, he was, he, he was actually a pretty nice guy. He he used to mess with us sometimes in like a kind of like a funny way, like instead
4: of. So there
2: was one night staff that I do not remember her name. Mm-hmm. All I remember is that I don't think she really spoke much English, um, hmm. and she was like a grandmotherly age and she was there early in my stay probably the first month or two and i was like crying in my room at night i was a lot of girls you would hear them sniffling and crying all night yeah and this woman came in my room because they're shining flashlights on our faces every hour making sure we're there she came in my room she didn't say a word and she just pushed a cookie under my pillow well
4: that was and nice
2: Yeah, and like she never spoke to me, but I really don't think she spoke a lot of English. Yeah. Um, I just got that impression. She looked like she was Mexican or something, like some kind of Hispanic ethnicity. And the way she did speak had an accent. So I I never really got to ask her. I never had the opportunity to. Um, But she would do that. And I would see her do this with girls when they were crying. She would just push a cookie under their pillow and walk out. And she never said a word.
3: Wow. That's awesome.
2: That was like the one nice thing that happened, and she was not there long. Like she didn't work there long when I was there.
3: Yeah, probably because she was too nice. <laughs> probably probably. Like, I can't deal probably. with this probably. anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I remember we were we were laying in bed one me and uh me and uh so I we had bunk beds. I was bottom bunk. My buddy's uh top bunk and we're sitting there and we're okay. talking about whether we believe in aliens and stuff like that. We're just having one of those conversations. <laughs> and uh yeah, nice. and we're going on and on and on. And, you know, we're, we we're just carrying on about this. And I don't know how late it was, but you know, we were supposed to be in bed. Well, instead of like somebody disciplining us and getting mad at us for talking when we we're supposed to be sleeping, he runs into the room, puts a flashlight to his face and goes <laughs> and it scared both nice. of us so much. We just jumped and I, and we just got to oh, kick g- Yeah, like it like we were totally I was like, "Oh my gosh." "Oh my gosh." And he's like, "All right, guys. You guys got to get to bed." And he's like, "I was just messing with you. Have a good night." And you know, he, he
2: And see, I don't That was don't that was fine. Like night staff, I don't feel like they got the same indoctrination that Dave staff did.
3: No, no. I don't because think
2: they, so. They didn't really have to interact with us much.
3: No, no. They would treat us like human beings usually. And
2: usually, yeah, the
3: others would treat us like we were all like in San Quentin or something. Yep. I mean, it was crazy. You know, there
2: was one there was one thing I wanted to talk about with the medical care when we were there. OK, um, one thing that was really interesting to me over the time I've been researching the ranch and talking to people that were there is that when they initially opened. Bud and Shirley were really against psychotropic medications. They didn't want these kids drugged up. They didn't need drugs, they needed Jesus, right? Right. That was the approach they had. By the time I got there, in 2006, every single kid was on a cocktail of psychiatric meds. Mm Mm-hmm. Was this true for you, too? Yeah.
3: No. yeah. They had me on some stuff. And then I always have to make sure that... I can't remember everything I was on. It was like, uh, maybe like Zoloft, Welbutrin, Paxil, um... I can't remember all of them. They're mood stabilizers and antidepressants and stuff like that.
2: So what about the other kids, though? Did you always see every single other kid taking meds? Were there any kids that you saw not taking
3: meds? Uh, I don't know for certain that there were kids that weren't taking meds. I remember some kids would be taking things like Seroquel. And that's the only reason I know what Seroquel Mm -hmm. is, is because of the ranch and a kid taking it. And uh, I can't remember all the names. I just can't, but... Uh, if, if, if it wasn't all of us, I would say it was probably the majority of us. We would all get in line whenever the nurse would come to our house at night and, uh, and we'd all just get our medication and she'd just pass it out to each of us as we moved up in line.
2: Every morning, every night. Yep.
3: Exactly. Exactly.
2: That was the first thing we did. Yep. So this was something I noticed very early in my stay. There was not a single child that did not have to go up to the window and take a, a cup full of medication. And when I had been at Providence, the very first thing they did when I got there was they had someone brief me on my patient rights. So a nurse or a CNA or someone came in with this list of patient rights and read them off to me and asked me if I had any questions about them. Right. Right. And so I was aware of what these patient rights were. And so when I got there the very first morning, we go down there and they hand me this cup of medication and it's like two, three different pills. And I'm looking at them. I was like, uh, What are these? And they said, just take them. I was like, I'm, I don't want to take anything if I don't know what it is. Yeah. And they're like, you need to take it. Just hurry up. You're holding up the line. And they were very inconvenienced with the fact that I was asking questions. Wait,
3: this was at the ranch or at Providence?
2: The, yeah, at the ranch. Okay, okay. This was at the ranch. And I was like, well, I don't know what it is. So, no, I'm not taking it. Um. And they're like, telling me that I have to. And I was you like, I have the it. right to refuse medication. <laughs> And I'm sitting here like, Providence told me I have the right to refuse medication. I'm refusing. And they're like, well, we have the right to enforce medication. And she just looked at me in this weird way, and I got scared. And so I took it. So my first two to three weeks at the ranch, I know you're a guy, so this is weird. My boobs started hurting. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Right. And I'm in the shower, and I realize I have milk spraying. I was like, what the hell? You know, like I'm 17. I don't have kids. I'm not breastfeeding. It's forced. I'm not pregnant. So
3: these pills side effects, you're lactating.
2: Yes. And I told them this. I was like, my boobs are leaking. They hurt. It's painful. I don't know what's going on. And they're telling me not to use the word boobs. I'm like, okay, breast. And they're like, don't say that word either. I'm like, what do you want me to say?
3: These big clumps of fat on my chest.
2: (laughs) Yeah, these clumps of fat on my chest. Um. And so I'm really upset because I'm drenching my shirts. Like it wasn't even this bad when I actually breastfed my kids like later in life, it was awful. And they wouldn't get me nursing pads or anything so that my clothes would stay clean. They would give me like kitchen towels to shove in my bra. And so I have these massive lumpy kitchen towels in my bra. It's so attention drawing, like what's wrong with her shirt, you know? Right. And she, and having had kids and being pregnant, should have known about nursing pads. She could have advocated for me and been like, Hey, let's get this girl some nursing pads. Right. Sure. Never did. Never did. Just here's a kitchen towel. And that was it.
3: And, and, d- and, and I mean, they still didn't tell you what you were taking at this point.
2: No, no, they didn't. And I'm like, something is seriously wrong with me. I'm thinking like, I didn't click that it was the medication initially. Right. Um, I thought maybe I have cancer or something. Like, I'm <laughs> panicking because, like, this isn't normal. What is happening to me? Yeah. And when I had a doctor appointment, I went in there to try and talk to him about it. Right. And so I started telling him, like, I don't know how to say this, but, like, my boobs keep leaking. And this doesn't, like, it hurts. I'm in pain. Everything hurts. And he's just writing on paper over and over and over. He's writing all this stuff on all these papers and moving them. And he doesn't even look up at me. And then all of a sudden, he just slammed his hand on his desk, and he's like, did I say you could speak? And I looked at him, and I was like, I I thought this was like a checkup or something. Like, I thought I was supposed to tell you how I've been feeling. And he's like, well, I didn't ask. And he keeps writing, and then he tells me to go get the next girl.
3: Was this Dr. Brown? Yeah. Psy-D?
2: No, that's Dr. Dixon that's Psy-D. Dr. Brown is a medical doctor.
3: Gotcha, okay. Yeah, I, I don't know um, enough so, about this stuff to speak on it well.
2: <laughs> I, I was just so alarmed. I'm like, this is a serious issue. I don't know what's happening to me. Right. You know? It's got to be terrifying. I, yeah, especially since I didn't have any kids. I wasn't nursing. I wasn't pregnant. Like, what is happening to my body? And they didn't care. And then the extra humiliation of having these giant-ass kitchen towels in my bra. Wow. Like, they wouldn't even just give me a washcloth. It was a full-on freaking kitchen towel.
4: Jeez.
2: And so I was embarrassed on top of it, you know, because everybody's looking at me like, what's wrong with your shirt? And I'm having to explain to people, well, my boobs keep leaking, yeah, you know? Right. That's embarrassing when you're 17.
3: That's embarrassing, period. Who the hell would want to have that yeah. happen? Yeah. My God. And
2: so I, I'm i upset, and I it finally clicked one day that, you know, it's probably the pills. I wonder if I quit taking them. But how am I going to quit taking them? Because I literally just watched them waterboard a kid a few days before that.
3: What do you mean they waterboarded a kid?
2: So, this girl refused to take her medication. She was in the line ahead of me. She was like, I don't want to take it. I'm not taking it. I'm not taking it. And she just was like, throwing a fit. And this girl had stuff wrong with her. Like, she had cerebral palsy, and I think she might have been autistic on the low end of the spectrum. And like low functioning. Okay. And she told them she wasn't going to take her pills and they got her on the ground and it was Stan Jackson. Stan Jackson got her down on the ground and some other person. And this nurse put her, put the pills in her mouth. One of the staff members, I don't know who is plugging her nose and they're pouring literally like a Kool-Aid pitcher of water just over her face directly onto the floor.
3: That seems dangerous, especially if yeah, you're holding like somebody's nose, holding nose like you can't breathe. Yeah. Like, what if it gets in your lungs?
2: Yep. And and they were like massaging her throat, one of them was. Like, and so she in got her nose plug, one of them's massaging her throat. And they're just pouring this pitcher of water down her throat. And this girl did have mental handicaps. Like, 100%, I have no doubts about it. This girl had mental handicaps. Yeah. And they were doing this to her. Like I was so shocked, and I'm like, I don't want that done to me. Right. I'm like, right. So how am I going to quit taking pills? You know. Right. And so when we were in the cafeteria, uh, fun side note about the cafeteria. My first day there, no one told me you weren't allowed to speak in the cafeteria, and oh, yeah. I spoke. Then forgot about that. What? What? Yeah. I was like, what? What kind of food is this? And. I ended up with like a 2000 word essay over it. And I was like, I didn't even know there's no signs telling me not to talk. <laughs> but anyway, in the cafeteria, I started practicing swallowing things really shallow and then gagging them up. And I did this for like a week or two. I probably about a week. Like I would do it with like kernels of corn, like bits of meat, you know, yeah, anything just to see if I could do it because they would check our mouths after we took meds. They would, Like shine a flashlight, make you lift your tongue, pull your cheeks. Yeah. And I got really good at it in the cafeteria. And so the first time I tried it with the meds, I was so scared. I was so scared. I was like, (laughs) I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get caught. And so I go in, I swallow super shallow and I couldn't talk after I swallowed. Otherwise it would move it down my throat. I I realized that like if I spoke after I swallowed, the pills would go down.
3: Right. Something you couldn't test in the lunchroom.
2: Yeah, exactly. Because um, that happened a few times when I did this. <laughs> <And> <laughs> anyway, the first time I did it, I was terrified. And I, I shallow swallowed, let her check my mouth, walked out, and we would walk back to the cafeteria or the houses, depending what time of day it was. And I was able to gag it up and just quietly rub, rub it out of my lip because I would kind of push the pill into my lower lip.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I would just kind of wipe my mouth and toss it on the ground.
3: Did you, like, smear it into the dirt or anything so they wouldn't find any random pills laying around? I would
2: step on it or, like, wiggle my foot a little just so that it wasn't obvious. Like, I would kind of grind the dirt a little. Yeah. And I never got caught. I never got caught doing that.
3: And how long did you do this?
2: My entire stay. Really? Yes. Wow. And I never got caught doing that. I was effectively unmedicated the entire time I was there.
3: Meanwhile, Jan's probably like, see, I told you it wasn't the medication or, <laughs> or something like
2: that. I just stopped telling them about it. Yeah. I just stopped mentioning it, you know, and it did go away as soon as I got the meds on my system. It took a couple weeks, but, and it, it was very rare that I would accidentally swallow, swallow them. Yeah. So it was very infrequent that I actually got a dose of it.
3: No, no. But I
2: got really good at it. Now,
3: let me ask you this. Did you ever find out what those medications were?
2: I did. I found out that the one I think was causing the lactation was Risperdal.
3: Risperdal. Now, what is that stuff? And
2: that is a, it's it's a pretty hardcore antipsychotic. Really? And I'm, I was never psychotic. <laughs> I never had those issues. Right.
3: Well, no, athe- atheism, that's uh, that's one of the symptoms of uh, psychosis. I guess. You didn't know that?
2: I guess. No. <laughs> what I did have was an undiagnosed thyroid disorder.
3: Thyroid disorder?
2: Yeah. that That's a long story, but I've had that a lot longer than I've been diagnosed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I would effectively not take the meds the entire time. And I don't think they even know that to this day. Well, they were taking. They're going to find out when they listen to
3: this me. podcast.
2: Oh, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, I am including it. Samples. <laughs> yes, you need to. That's a good one. Um, so, they took monthly blood, blood samples from me to make sure my liver was okay because apparently whatever meds I was on could hurt your liver. Mm-hmm. And my levels always looked great.
3: <laughs> I'll bet they did.
2: <laughs>
3: right, I wasn't taking it. <laughs> I would, I, would, I I took my meds. I don't think I ever cheeked at my meds. Uh, I, at one facility, I it wasn't the Lord's Ranch. I couldn't have gotten away with this at the Lord's Ranch. I just told them I wanted to wean off the meds, and they wouldn't let me. Yeah, and then finally, I was like, I'm not taking them anymore. And they're like, well, you can risk having a seizure, this, this, this. And I was like, well, I guess that's on you guys because you guys have been making me wait long enough. They're like, why don't you take at least half? I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm never taking one ever again. And then they're just like
2: But that's the difference. <laughs> they respected your right to refuse Right,
3: it. exactly. It was a it,
2: Even if they warned you and cautioned you. Right.
3: They cautioned me. They didn't beat me up or lay a hand on me or anything like they would or have at the Lord's Ranch. You? Yeah, exactly. The Lord's Ranch, that was a place where you would get attacked for doing something like that. Well, yeah. And other absolutely. places, they treat you like a human being, not a punching bag. And uh I mean yeah, it's uh, it's funny that you were. Um, it's funny that you had the whole exorcism experience. My uh, I had one of those as well. I was sitting on the front porch with Glen, uh, one of my uh, one of the other guys there, and um, he's talking to me about how there are certain animals that are kind of that uh that are associated with the devil. Uh he brings up snakes of course. And uh one of them that he brought up was owls. Well, it was the creepy. I
2: never heard that one.
3: I I it, it could have just been him, you know. I mean, he he, yeah. he wasn't all the way there. And um you cuz he he, I, he was planning on being a preacher or something. That was something that oh, I, that was like his calling is what he was saying. We're like, "Okay, right on, Glenn." And, uh, anyways, he would, uh, he's look, we're sitting there and I look up and I kid you not in this dead, this creepy big dead tree, three owls. I can see their eyes because it's starting to get dark. You can kind of see their eyes in the, in the tree. So I looked at Glenn. I was like, Hey Glenn, check it out. There's some owls in that tree. And then he looks at me like his eyes just get big. They get really big. They're very wide. And he goes, he puts, kind of puts his hand out, get, get inside, get inside. I'm like, I don't want to go inside. I want to see what happens. What are you going to do? He starts walking towards the tree. And then he's like, go inside. He kept yelling for me to go inside. And the staff member makes me go inside. I'm like, okay, fine. So I go inside. Anyway, uh, the the Glenn comes back inside and he suddenly thinks that I'm possessed by demons. He starts to come at me. He's holding his hands at me. He said he, that he needed to cast the demons out of me. I said, Glenn, knock it off. I'm not demon possessed. Leave me alone. And he keeps coming at me. Nobody's trying to prevent this. Everyone's just watching, including the staff. Finally, I was like, all right, I need to get away from this guy. So I run to the closest door, which was this bathroom, and I went and I closed that door, but I couldn't get it latched. But what I could do was I could wedge my foot against the wall and then put my back against the door, and that's... You know, he had no leverage on his side. Uh, the blocking
2: uh, uh, entry, yeah. Uh, yeah, he
3: had no leverage but carpet. So he has to use his, basically like his arm strength or something to get. Well, he, I, my body starts to crumple from the pressure of the door opening. And I knew Glenn was kind of a big guy. And I was like, I I knew he was a big guy, but I didn't. I was like, how is he so strong that he's able. Like, this guy has to be ridiculously powerful Well, as the door starts to open, I look over and I see that one of the staff members, he's uh, about, this is uh, David Land. He's one of the newer ones. He's from Minnesota, has the accent, the whole nine. And uh, he's about six foot four, six foot eight, and he's helping open the door. So I have a resident and a staff member that are both bigger than me pushing on this door. And my body could not withstand the pressure. So I finally just got away from the door and I just back up to the right of me. There is a sink and a mirror. To the left of me, there is a shower. And I'm in this little type of corridor type thing in the bathroom. You know, when you first walk in, if you look straight forward, there's a toilet. and uh, But if you go to the left, you'll be between the sink and the shower. And uh, I, was o- yeah. I was over there. I went back as far as I could. Glenn's still coming towards me. I was like, this is creepy. And anyways, he starts, he puts his hand on his, my head. I said, I, I was telling him, Glenn, get away from me. Get a, get away from me. You have, Glenn, you have to get away from me. And he keeps putting his hand on my head and, and starts trying to like say all this scripture. And then he starts speaking in these weird tongues. And I, oh and I just lost it. And I just started swinging and punching him in the face. I'm punching him in the face as hard as I can over and over and over again. He isn't budging. Yep. These punches are not affecting him. He's not responding to the punches at all. I look over at the staff member while I'm doing this thinking the staff has to do something. No, he's hyperventilating. Yep.
2: You're being violently assaulted.
3: He's, he's hyperventilating because he thinks that this is an actual exorcism. He's breathing oh heavily. His face is red. He's breathing heavily. He looks scared. Like oh my gosh! And then I just, I, I just got. You're
2: just DFS with Balesab. I couldn't
3: believe it. I was, I, it was, it was unbelievable. And I, 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 I finally, I was just, I was just done hitting him. I couldn't do it anymore, and I was just tired. And I was like, I just go, okay, Glenn, the demons are out of me. I'm Ryan again. <laughs> and then he goes. <sighs> backs up, let's go of me. He's like, okay, all right. And he's catching his breath after the scuffle. And I just walked past him. And then I walked past the staff member and I looked up at David and I told him, I said, I cannot believe you believe in that shit. And I just walked away. I was so <laughs> mad. And he just stood there and he didn't get on me for cursing, nothing. He, I was like, I cannot believe you believe that in that shit. And then I just walked away and uh, even then, he had to have like realized how naive he was because the way that I got him off of me was by this. Now, and I said it in a sarcastic tone, like
4: okay, I, I'm like, they're gone.
3: right? I pre- I pretty much did it like that, like I'm rolling my eyes while I say it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, I can picture that. Yeah, and and then he and then and then I just get away. And then and this was towards the end of the night. The night crew shows up, and that one guy I had told you about. Who had uh played that prank on us when we were talking about aliens. Yeah. He shows up and I, I can't remember his name, but I remember I walked up to him, I said, Listen, I said, you know, Glenn tried to cast the demon out of me when I was uh or earlier tonight. He thought he's performing some sort of exorcism or something. Obviously it wasn't what was going on, but he was convinced I just want you to make sure that he doesn't leave his room and go into my room tonight because I really cannot have that happening. I I need a good night's sleep. I don't want this guy to try to cast demons out of me while I'm asleep. And he said, and he's like...
2: (laughs) even
3: have to do that yeah it is it really is he goes my number one prerogative will be to make sure that he stays in his bed tonight i said okay thank you very much i appreciate it and i never i never had anything else happen with it i never there was no more exorcisms after that and i was fine but that was just the fact that a staff member helped a guy who was mentally challenged do what he did it made me realize how unqualified all of these people were. They just were not well, qualified yeah. at all. They had no idea what they were doing. It was terrible.
2: Are there qualifications for exorcisms?
3: I mean, I feel like you got to <laughs> be a priest at least. I don't know, but.
2: <laughs> Have a bottle of holy water? I mean, everything I've seen is always Catholic. It's
3: always a Catholic priest on TV. Yeah, 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 pr- pretty much. They got they got the cross on. They're wearing the black robe type thing, and they got the cross yes. on their neck. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, this is just this is just <laughs> him went with his you know regular whatever you're allowed to wear. The Lord's Ranch probably some jeans and a T-shirt or something. I can't recall. But oh gosh, you know it was just like I, know, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that it happened. I was so I was so irritated. That's about how I
2: felt, and like you're the only other person i found who had an exorcism. <laughs> and I've talked to so many people that were at the ranch, and I'm like, maybe I'm just a weirdo. Maybe it wasn't what I thought it was. And then you told me your story. And I'm like, yep, it was what I thought it was. No, it
3: was what you thought it was. It was. The place, that place had some issues. And, and there were a lot more issues than just the religious stuff, too. I mean, the way they handled religion was ridiculous, but there was a lot of stuff that went on at that place. And... I mean, we we just keep peeling back the layers, and there's more, and there's more, and there's more, and the more people I talk to, the scarier it is.
2: Speaking of issues with the ranch, one of my primary things that has bothered me through the years is how I feel that the staff members directly and deliberately cultivated an environment of mistrust. Um, you were always walking on eggshells and you could never trust anyone. You couldn't trust staff. You couldn't trust your fellow residents Nope. because narking on everyone else was incentivized. You'll get out earlier if you tell me what happened. Yeah. They'll stay here longer.
3: Right. Exactly. That's, that's what they wanted. They had their own little team of hitters, you know,
2: you couldn't trust anybody. And I used to test this. I used to test who I could trust. And it was so bad of me. I should have never done this, but I did. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like one time I told told a girl that I had a cell phone in my room and I didn't. I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't even have a cell phone before I got there. Um, But I told her I snuck a cell phone in and she's like, you did? I was like, yeah. And I've been texting. I've been texting my friends back home and like, I just made up this whole story. I was like, maybe I'll let you use it, but I have to sneak it to charge it because we didn't have electrical outlets. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'd have to like sneak to the kitchen and charge it when people weren't looking. So it would only last for a couple of texts. I had this whole story going for it, And anyway, she must have told on me because my room got flipped. (laughs) And I knew, and I was testing this. I was like, okay. That's beautiful.
3: Right. Write that name now.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And then I told another girl that I had some other thing we weren't allowed to have. I don't even remember what it was. Uh, but I would do this to basically everybody. And if my room got flipped, I knew they were a narc.
3: I'll bet when they flipped they your room and they so couldn't find guys. anything, they're like, gosh, where is it? <laughs>
2: They would ask me, they'd be like, so where's the cell phone? I'm like, what's the cell phone? <laughs> and like this girl's just glaring at me. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never even had a cell phone. Ask my family. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. And I would just play stupid. And they would get so pissed. They'd be like demanding I show them where I hid whatever it was.
3: That's pretty brilliant. And I
2: always changed I changed what the item was. And, I, and, and if they didn't tell me anything, like if I didn't get flipped and they didn't tell on me, then I'm like, okay, I can trust that one. That's smart. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't know who to trust because I made the mistake of trusting one girl once. and I don't remember what happened, but I got in so much trouble and they were threatening to keep me like six months, six more months. Yeah. And that was kind of a constant thing. They were always telling us you're going to end up here longer. It'd be a shame if I had to tell your therapist, you need to stay longer.
4: Wow.
2: Um, I don't know if you remember, but every month they would do what they called treatment team, which was basically Dr. Brown, your therapist, Dr. Dixon, and maybe some staff members who all basically had a conference about your progress.
4: Right. Right. And they
2: never told you what happened in these, right? And as an adult and in retrospect, I genuinely believe they were just looking for reasons to keep you longer and justify it.
4: Yeah.
3: It wouldn't surprise I me.
2: Because
3: it was, it I was, it, that, it was, you know? it was, a, it, was a, it was a means of making money. There wasn't a program. It was you graduate, no. you get pulled out by your parent, or you get pulled out by the courts. I never saw anybody go. I never saw them go. You know what? You're ready to go home. This is I it. And I never, I never once saw it. The entire time I was there, people I've interviewed over the years. Years and years and years. I'm talking about back in the 80s. That's never been the case. And it makes you wonder, like, were they just planning on keeping me until I was 18 or they were just going to see how long they could push this? And I think that's what was going on.
2: On their website, you have the screenshots of that. On their website, they had advertised that they had two different programs, right? Mm -hmm. There was no separation. There was no actual program. Like, there was no clear-cut set of steps you had to take to complete the program. You were literally just there. Yeah. There were no objectives. There were no goals shared. There was no, okay, this is how the program works. This is how you work up through it, and this is how you get to go home. That's what I would expect from a quote-unquote program, right? Right. They claimed they had two different programs, like one was psychiatric, one was behavioral. There was no separation. We were all doing the same thing.
3: We were all treated the same. They never showed any discretion to people who had me- that were- had any mental illness. Uh, they, they never showed disability. Discre- anything, anything, anything at all. There was no discretion whatsoever. It was you all have to be this. We basically had to be walking clones of each other. You know what I mean? We all had to be yep. a, a certain way. It was terrible. The
2: only, the only treatment difference I saw was that Alaskan kids got family therapy once a week where Arkansas kids got it once every two weeks. And that was because our Medicaid paid for an extra session. They paid for it to be weekly.
3: See, I, that I don't even remember.
4: And,
2: yeah, and Arkansas did not. Because I asked why the Arkansas kids don't have it every week. Um, and it was because
3: Alaska Medicaid
1: will pay for it.
3: Wow, you know, yeah. it was. Uh, it's I, I, my therapist that I had. My I, I I got my therapist changed. I asked the other, and I'm surprised they even let me do this. But the, the therapist I had, he was he was just as rude as the staff. Like he wasn't understanding. He didn't care about anything I had to say. And I maybe talked. Do you remember? name i don't i remember he was kind of a little bit chubbier and he had darker hair and he drove a nice car okay. and uh i ended up going to another guy i don't maybe his name was lee or something like that but he had yeah
2: i had lee, he had, briefly.
3: He, had, he was thin with glasses mm-hmm. okay yeah that's the guy i switched to and i liked him more because he would actually so, do his job and
2: i had three different therapists um and I basically had like one therapy session the first two, three months I was there. And they told me, because I even questioned them, I was like, why am I even here if I'm not getting therapy? They're like, well, we're between hires. I was like, then why did you take me?
3: <laughs> it's a very good point. It's a very good question. Right? Yeah. Well, you if you weren't ready,
2: then why am I here?
3: Yeah. <laughs> and, and we already know we know the answer so to that, obviously, initially. but they're not going to say it. Oh, yeah, it. money. Yeah, they're not going to say but that. I
2: switched my therapist so many times early on. I did not have the ability to build a rapport with anybody until, like, three months in when I finally had a consistent therapist. Well, they would make... And even then... Oh, go ahead. I had Dr. Dixon. I had Dr. Dixon, and he was nice enough, like, he was friendly... But I felt like he was basically wanting me to agree that everything going on with me was all my fault.
3: So it was that you know it was never
2: it's, I'm the problem. Right, I'm the, the, problem. the staff
3: aren't the ones. You need to take a look a closer look at yourself. Even though yes. you have staff members who are sexually assaulting girls and beating people illegally and basically breaking the law on. I mean, I mean they they broke the law at least on a weekly basis at the bare minimum. Oh, yeah. You know.
2: And he would get he would he would get on me about how I am so fixated and quote obsessed with going home that it's hindering my treatment because I'm so obsessed with getting out of there.
3: Well, wouldn't you be I mean in a place like that wouldn't you be obsessed with going home? Everyone was. Nobody wanted to be yeah. there. Nobody wanted to be there. There were some kids. Now, no. now don't get me wrong. There are some kids who grew up in very, very that were they they came out of terrible environments. But even some and of that them was a
4: step up for
3: them, right? But even some of them wanted to leave. Like um, I remember, Diana told me she ran away uh, three months or three not three months three years into her stay because she thought she would never get out. Three years. And that's- was and that's how yeah and and she had gone there because of issues at home it wasn't because of anything she had done it was more like foster care not trouble teen but foster care and it,
2: because they didn't have anywhere to put her
3: right so they put her they give they yeah yeah we'll take her we'll take
2: and how unfair is that
3: right how much will you pay us yeah sure yeah bring her on
2: so another issue I had is that some of these kids were there. Court ordered because they were delinquent. Why are we mixing kids who need psychiatric treatment with court ordered delinquents? Right. I don't feel like those are on the same level.
3: They aren't. They aren't. And actually, I, the 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 other facility that I went to, uh, it was a, it was different from the ranch. It was the actual one who did things properly. They had a house. Mm-hmm. They had a certain house, and it was for sex offenders. They had another house. Okay. For people with tempers. I was in that house. And then the, the other house, I don't even know what this house was. They, maybe they were maybe they had a drug issue or something. I don't know. I, I don't know what the other house was yeah, for. But, they but they I did know those two. Issue. Right. You had you, you had everything shorted. Instead of like what they did at the uh, at the ranch, the only type of thing that I saw where there was separation is it seemed like they put all of the black kids or at least most of the black kids in the Murphy house. And then white kids in the other houses. Now they started to change that a little bit towards the end. Like I, I, I had, a, I had a you know one. I think I had like three black guys in my house uh, towards the end of my stay. But for the
2: we weren't really separated like that. For, it was just a random mix. And I got switched houses once, and I was really mad about it. Um, and it was because I was too friendly with that little girl. I told you I felt like was my little sister.
3: You were too friendly?
2: I was too friendly, and I was helping her too much, and I was enabling her. And that's why they moved me. I was like, no, I'm making sure these older girls don't beat her up.
3: Right. That's called being kind.
2: She was little, and they would just mess with her. And I was the only one that actually treated her like an actual person, because the other girls were just mean to her. Right. Because she was young. She was younger.
3: Yeah. Wow. It's unbelievable. So, yeah. some, some, The reasoning, like you look back at some of the reasoning that they had for wh- why they would do things the way they did, and it there just wasn't really any logic behind it. Not any realistic it, logic, it, but you had to pretend there was. You had to oh, – You did. You had to you nod your know. head and go, oh, okay, that's why you did this horrible thing. That makes sense. Yeah. And then – you're, you're gonna, you're gonna, literally. I'm gonna give you a verse in the Bible that refutes what you're doing, and you're going to give me a verse in the Bible that refutes that. And then you're not gonna sit there and say, "Hmm,
2: no one wins." These,
3: these contradict each other. Interesting.
2: Nope, and you get in trouble if you point that out. No,
3: no, yeah, you're not allowed to. I mean, it was just so. It it, it, was, it was weird. Did
2: you did you ever get put on shoe restriction?
3: Uh, when I was sent to level one, I didn't get shoes. So I had to walk on the gravel so on got, my, my socks.
2: I got put on shoe restriction once. And it was dumb because one of the other girls told them I was going to run away. And I never planned to. Like, I never had a plan to run away, ever. Mm-hmm. Because I was from Alaska. I had no idea what the geography was. I didn't even know what direction to go. There is another like, There's
3: another Alaskan who went to the exact same thing, though. Uh, just to let you know. Yeah. And she went to uh, a level one. It was in Alaska. So just so you know, you're not the first one to be falsely accused of planning to run away.
2: I was never level one, but I was put on shoe restriction. And so I'm walking on this hot gravel with my bare feet, just socks. I mean, guess not bare, but I had socks, right. which were effectively trashed from walking around on them. Yeah,
3: yeah you'll get a holes in them pretty quickly walking on that gravel. Yep.
2: Yeah, and it was so embarrassing, too, because everyone sees you don't have shoes on, and they know, they know what's going
3: on. It's clear as day. I mean, it's not like you're walking normally, either. I mean, nobody looks at somebody's shoes, but they look at how you walk. You walk a little slower. You're trying to avoid the sharp yeah. rocks, everything. So, yeah, I And
2: remember. the whole idea was that if you were going to run away, I guess, that you wouldn't have shoes.
0: I don't necessarily like it here. But I'm here now, and there isn't much I can do about it anymore. Some of the rules seem really strange to me, but I guess there has to be a reason why they made them. School seems really elementary, to say the very least, even though they claim to be 11th grade classes. I'm going to try and take geometry, I think. One thing I can't really agree with is the over-enthusiasm for religion. The services so far have been long and tearful. And the prayer has been almost constant. I feel like the religion is being pushed too much. I mean, I was really considering going back to church and getting involved before I got here. But all this religion and all this prayer is turning me off to the idea of God. I don't mean to be negative, but I feel as if it's expected of me. But I don't want to feel like I'm only doing it because it's expected of me. I'm going to try really hard. I've already made it clear to the other girls I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to get better, and I'm going to do it in the shortest possible time. I don't want to be here. I really don't. But as long as I am, I'm going to try to work on getting better and get out of here as quick as I can. My goal is to be released in early to mid-August. That way I'm home in time for my senior year. Apparently my shirts are too tight. Some of them are okay. But maybe you need to send me a few plain old t-shirts. The dress code seems really bizarre. I really don't like it here, but I'm trying to do really well so that I can leave all the much sooner. I want to go back to Alaska really bad. Arkansas is not cool. It's worse than Indiana. The religion here bothers me a lot. I've never been really religious, as you and my mom both know. God has never been a significant part of my life. I'm not saying that it can't be one day in the future, But I feel like I'm being forced. I feel like I'm having the Bible shoved down my throat page by page. They take things so above and beyond with the religion that it turns me off from the whole idea of it. I really am trying hard. I'm not quite sure what it is that I have to do to go home because no one's telling me. But I am being good. One girl flipped out today. She started screaming and throwing things and smashed her head against the wall. Quite violently and ended up breaking her glasses. They sent us to our rooms for 20 minutes while they tried to calm her down. I've been here almost a week. It'll be a week on Tuesday. So it'll be one week down. My goal is to be out by August or September time frame. eight to 12 weeks. One girl who's been here almost four years says that if I remain easy to deal with, calm, collected, compliant, like I have been, August and September might be a very real goal. I just hope that she's right. I don't think I can bear being here much longer than that. This is pretty much basic training. If they say jump, you don't ask questions. You jump, and the consequences are severe if you don't. If I can learn to do what I'm told when I'm told, then it shouldn't be bad, or that hard, should it? I mean, physically, I might have to learn to be stronger in a physical sense, but it's not too hard. I'm kind of out of it. I'm here. I've got a few months to try and figure out my life, and I don't know how I'm supposed to. They really aren't helping me much. They just see to it that we behave and do our chores. I haven't even seen a therapist yet. I hope I get to soon. I guess that I don't like the religion aspect because if I'm being pushed, it's hard for me to tell if I'm doing it because I want to or because I feel like I'm being forced to. I want to know that I'm doing it for me. And not because I'm being controlled. I also have a bit of a hard time believing. I have doubts. I mean, look at me. Look where I am. I'm stuck in a facility with a couple dozen other troubled girls. Unhappy, tired, and incredibly homesick. How am I supposed to put faith in God when odds are I'm going to be stuck here longer than I want to be? I mean, really, take a big hard look at it. I'm in purgatory of a sort. A holding tank. And I hate the way I'm forced to live now. I want to go back to Alaska now. I don't want to be here. It took a lot of my own restraint not to dash into Papa's car when he tried to leave. Just help me get back to Alaska. Get me out of here, please. I still want to come home. I still despise this place terribly. I'm already starting a list of things I want to do when I come home. Like take a bath. We only have showers here. Right now, I'm still adjusting. I don't want to be here, but I know if I just take it one day at a time, that I'll be okay. I'm kind of perplexed. A lot of what they said in the booklet isn't true. And the only thing I have a really hard time tolerating is the religion. But I guess after morning, it isn't so bad. I just have to try and make it through my morning chore, which is vacuuming half of the living room, and making my bed all crazy-like. Being silent during breakfast, school, being quiet during lunch, study hall... Then when we get back to the house, we can usually do whatever. Certain days we have services, but for the most part, we have an hour or two every day. We can write, or we can watch Christian or 1930s cartoons. They probably aren't from the 30s, but they're about Felix the Cat, and some of them are really old. I'm definitely not impressed with the school program. It's very basic and very elementary. The worst part is is that it has to be, because anything else is too challenging for the majority of the students. I'm trying to be optimistic and positive. I think that I'll have a harder time staying that way if I don't have things to challenge myself and develop new talents with. I have to get special permission just to allow you to send me a French book. I don't see why they wouldn't be allowed, but they said I had to have permission. You would think that they would encourage things like that. I'm really concerned about when I'll be able to get out of here. I mean, I can't see myself staying here past my 18th birthday. My goal is to be back in time for school, or at least within the first month of school. I really don't want to stay here long. I don't think I need to, but the thing that scares me is knowing that the shorter stays that the girls have are three months. I guess that isn't so bad. I just want to get out of here. I figure if I take it one day at a time and keep behaving how I have been, then they won't have a good reason to keep me. I haven't gotten into trouble yet. It seems pretty easy to stay out of trouble most of the time. You just have to jump when they tell you to, and then you won't get in trouble. I'm kind of making a point to do good and do go above and beyond. Right now, I'm not feeling so great. A group of the girls here are accusing me of calling one of them a bitch. It isn't true. I didn't say that. I don't get along with the girl that I supposedly called a bitch, but that's for my own reasons. She's really bossy. She doesn't use words I can even understand, She uses a lot of slang that I don't know what it means and she tries to act like she's a thug. She asked me a million questions to try and embarrass me in front of everyone and she's always touching me after I made it explicitly clear that I don't want her to touch me. I didn't get into any trouble because they didn't have any proof but still they told me that if they heard anything else about it then there would be severe consequences potentially level one but I didn't even do anything. It's frustrating me so much. I got a warning for something I didn't even do. Why is this so hard? You tell me to do the right thing and I'm confused. The right thing to the people here or the right thing to me? I'm assuming me, but why is doing the right thing so hard? I feel like everyone here hates me. I want people to like me, but at the same time, everyone just seems to hate me no matter what I do. The girls, the staff... I guess for now it's their loss. It makes me feel bad, but I guess the right thing to do is to focus on me. All right. So we all have like a thousand
3: crazy Lord's ranch stories. Let's hear one of yours.
2: Oh gosh. Um uh, well first of all there were a lot, but the one that really sticks out yeah, sure. is when Jan Curtis Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jan Curtis and another staff member forcibly washed my hair. <laughs> Um, (laughs) my grandparents had left money on an account for me. Uh, they had told my grandparents they could leave money for my incidentals. Like if I need something or something that the ranch doesn't provide us that I'd like to have, um, they could leave money and they left $200. Okay. So obviously quite a bit. Sure. Um, to suave shampoo. If I get it on my skin, I welt, I blister it. I scratch it so hard. I bleed. Like I am allergic to it. That
3: sounds awful.
2: So, yeah, it's horrible because, you know, I have to even be careful with, like, hotel shampoos because I'll I'll get a giant rack.
3: Do you know what ingredient it is?
2: uh, I have no idea. I still haven't figured it out. Interesting. But it seems to always be the cheaper shampoos that do it to me.
3: Interesting. Well, well, it's definitely one of those.
2: Um, I had started to run out of shampoo, and I told Jan, and I was like, hey, I'm almost out of my shampoo, can you get me someone you go shopping? Because they would do shopping on the weekends and Jan would bring everything back. And she was like, we'll see. And she goes shopping that weekend, comes back with groceries. I was like, did you get me shampoo? And she said, no. And that I would just have to deal with what everyone else gets and what the ranch provides. I'm not better than anyone else and I don't deserve better than anyone else.
3: Gotta love Jan and Curtis. Thin-
2: yeah, and I was just flabbergasted because I wasn't even asking for anything crazy. I was asking for, like, Pantene or Aussie.
3: Right, like,
2: yeah. <laughs> it was like a $3 bottle of shampoo. It wasn't like, you know, Paul Mitchell or something.
3: <laughs> come on, now. I eat caviar yeah, I every Friday. Jeez, come on, Jan.
2: Every, every Friday and Monday. So I, I I was kind of taken aback. I
3: can see where this is going.
2: Yeah, and I, I'm standing there, and I'm just like, what? Is she really berating me for asking sham- for shampoo? Like, it's it shampoo. Why is this a big deal? And I, I didn't even know what to say to her. I was like, but my grandpa left me money for stuff because my grandpa had told me he did. And she's like, well, it doesn't matter. And she just got all huffy and started putting away everything.
3: What was so, the money going to be used I, for then?
2: I don't know. They never used it on me, and they never gave it back.
3: Sounds about right. You never gave right? back $400 either.
2: So over time, I run lower and lower on shampoo. And I started trying to use less and less every time I showered, just so it would last a little longer. Yeah. And uh, I eventually run out, even after putting water in the bottle and shaking it around to get the last bits off the sides of the bottle.
4: Oh, yeah.
2: And so I stopped washing my hair. And they made us take a shower every day, but even taking one every day, obviously my hair was going to get greasy and gross. And yeah. they confronted me about it a few times and <laughs> told me about I need hair. to wash my hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they told me I was to wash my hair. And I'm like, I can't wash my hair because you guys won't get me the right shampoo and I'm going to break out and I'm not going to do that. And it became this whole thing. Like they were just up my butt about washing my hair.
3: Cause you have used and like so soap or something or was this like kind of almost like a, all right, I'm going to show them what happens when they don't get it.
2: No, no. So. Oh, okay. Uh, we come back from something. We come back from something. I don't remember what we were doing, but we came back into the house and Jan's like, all right, we need to talk. You need to wash your hair. It is disgusting. And if you can't keep up with your personal hygiene, then clearly you're not ready to go home. And so she made it out like, not taking care of my personal hygiene was part of the program. And if I couldn't do that, I was never getting out of there. This is the same lady that had the leaking
3: tumor at uh church.
2: Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so I'm standing here like, I can't wash my hair. And I told her, can I use dish soap? I'll use the dish soap. If you want me to wash my hair, I'll use that. And she's like, no, you need to use what you're given. And I was like, okay, well, that's not going to work. And so they told me that I was going to take a shower then and there with the sh- with the curtain open, and they were going to watch me sh- wash my hair.
3: They wanted and to watch like, you, you shower?
2: Because I'm not doing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they told me they were going to watch me shower like, to make sure I wash my hair.
3: Like just your head, or how how exactly was that supposed to I don't know. Work?
2: Because I really don't know. I-, I assumed they were just going to stand in there and watch me take a shower because they told me they were going to. <laughs>
3: We're going to get Stan Jackson over here to make sure. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Oh, God, Uh, no.
2: (laughs) And so I told him, good luck, because I'm not going to do it. You can watch all you want, but I'm not putting that on my hair. Yeah. And next thing I know, I am being dragged over to the kitchen sink by my arm, by Jan, and my face is shoved into the sink. They're running water. I'm fighting at this point, and I'm not usually a fighter. Like I'm not a physical aggressor. Right. And I'm trying to get out because I have water running down my face. I'm feeling like I can't breathe because the water's pouring down my face. I'm being held against my will. This other staff member, I don't remember her name, started with a J brown hair, is helping Jan hold me at the sink. And they start scrubbing my hair with swab. Oh, God. And uh, finally, they rinse my hair. I'm hyperventilating at this point. I sit down in a chair. They hand... What?
3: When girls wash their hair, I know it takes a lot longer because it's longer hair. How long were they scrubbing your head?
2: I don't even know, but it felt really long because I was like being held down against my will and right, yeah,
3: it's gotta feel like like ten times longer than it really is, but i I don't know I was just yeah, curious. and I had
2: really long, thick hair,
3: okay, so yeah that was gonna be I have pictures that was gonna take I can a little while. show
2: you of my hair length at that time.
3: Oh, I've Um, seen them. Well, I saw the one with you in the purple uh, Discovery outfit.
2: Yep. So anyway, uh, I, I finally sit down, and they give me a towel. I put it over my shoulders, and they're, like, scolding me about personal hygiene as part of recovery, and if you can't do that, blah, blah, blah. See, it wasn't so bad. And they're just going off on me. And as they're, like, scolding and lecturing me, I can literally feel my skin burning. And I'm starting to scratch my head through my wet hair and my shoulders and my neck and my face. And I noticed Jan saw it. She saw my skin turning red. And she had like this weird look. And she tries to tell me that I'm only welting because I'm working myself up. Because I was crying and hyperventilating.
3: Oh, my God.
2: It, it couldn't possibly be that I was telling the truth about having an oh, allergic no. reaction.
3: Oh no! Of course not.
2: Absolutely not. Not possible.
3: I actually know a guy who I gets welts really easily up. too. I can't remember what he gets welts from. He gets welts from some something. I can't remember, but like it will like once it once you get it like once you once something starts welting up like it, it's like a bee stings you or something like it'll start to yeah. swell and everything. It's horrible.
2: And that's what happened, like I could feel it, and like everywhere the water and soap had streaked, like I could feel it in trails, and when I went and looked in the mirror later, I could literally see everywhere the water had streamed down me because it was just welted in a trail.
4: Did
3: you show her and, like, the trails of it and be like, why is yes, it why is it, it shaped like this saw it. <laughs> Why <laughs> is it saw shaped it. like this if it's me getting worked
2: up?" Right? You know, they acted like my face was just red. No, everything was red where the soap had touched me. And my scalp started swelling and it itched for over a week. I was scratching so hard that every time I pulled my hands out of my hair, there was blood on my fingers. Oh, no. Because it hurt. And, like, even, like, my my shirt seams touching my shoulders where the water got me would hurt.
3: So, did they make you do it for the whole time you were there, or did they learn their lesson?
2: No, my grandpa started mailing me shampoo every other week instead wow. of just buying me shampoo locally. My grandpa went down to Fred Meyer in Alaska, bought me shampoo, took it to the post office, and mailed it to me
3: I just every time I hear a story about that place i just i i just i don't know I just close my eyes and I'm just like how." How did that place exist for so long? I, I just, I, I can't yeah. wrap my mind around it. Like the the people there that were just so, so, they're just so ignorant. They're so incredibly ignorant and they're so incompetent. You know, this actually reminds it me. Just,
2: it was unnecessary. Like it's right. it that hard to believe that a child could have an allergic reaction to something.
3: Well, there's this, there's this guy I talked to, right? And uh, he he lives in the area. He has no okay. affiliation with the Lords Ranch, like he never worked there, never went there as a kid, but uh, he had a friend that worked there. and his friend's like, "Oh yeah, I got the job. if I could get the job, you can get the job." He's like, "You actually have experience with this stuff." And this guy's like, all right, great because he had he had experience uh, you know working with children. He had all the qualifications. They did not hire him. I think they Why? intent I think they intentionally hired people who weren't qualified because those were the people who would not know that what they were doing was totally wrong
2: and see like when i think about the shampoo situation if you have a child tell you i'm allergic to peanuts you're not going to force them to eat a peanut butter sandwich are you god no Exactly, because it's scary and it's risky. And typically, when you have an allergic reaction, it only gets worse the more you're exposed to it. And just the fact that my family had to mail me shampoo when they had left $200 for them to buy it for me. It was probably like two, three bucks at the time.
3: Right, and it's not like they spread the shampoo all around the store. It's like, all right, the suave's over here. We got herbal essence on the other side of the store. Like, it's all right there. Just grab a bottle.
2: They left me money for it. They left me money
3: for it, and Jan was just Why that was stubborn. Why was it a big
2: deal?
3: I swear, yeah, I I, she I, I she had no idea she was it. that. I had no idea she was that bad. I had no oh, yeah, idea. It
2: was horrible to me. She
3: just looked like a goofy, can't uh, counselor. And what's funny is you mentioned how she was pregnant when you were there. That means that yeah. she got knocked up right after I left because she was pregnant. She was big when I was there so yeah, she had like a when
2: toddler you, or something, like a young kid when I was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. she was pregnant. She was, she was very was like pregnant back, and had that, her baby while I was there.
3: Yeah, yeah, like back-to-back kind of deal. So, I mean, jeez. You got to wonder how those kids are living. That's, that's I mean, it's terrifying. Just,
2: it's one of those things. Why were they collecting funds for these kids to have an account for their incidentals when they weren't allowing the kids to get the item? You I wasn't a- asking for a luxury ask- product. Did
3: you ask what the incidentals were?
2: I did ask Jan, why did my grandpa give you guys money if you won't even use it on me? And her justification after I had the whole welting episode like a week later was that it was too much of a hassle to get the items and then reimburse it from my account, so they can't do it.
3: To reimburse it—that was how account? she
2: changed. Yeah, yeah, because it would be too much of a hassle to buy the item and make sure that the money was taken off my account.
3: Are you that kidding was the story
2: me? She gave me? Later, the yeah. place that got I mean, like a like,
3: hundred and twenty-five million dollars from what you want to call it—they couldn't Could handle, we handle my three-dollar shampoo, right? Oh, man! It's too much
2: accounting for them.
3: Oh, my gosh. Too much. Jeez Louise. I don't even know what I to wasn't say to that.
2: Asking, I wasn't asking for a luxury item. I wasn't asking for anything prohibited. I was asking for items necessary for basic hygiene. You know, it's kind
4: of
3: nice that you're like a normal person, like a normal kid, because there's a lot of kids that go there that are like, you know, they're really, they're they're pretty crazy and they can't, yeah. they can't always see just like the injustices, the ignorance, all the stupidity and how bad the place really was, but when you talk to somebody who's actually smart and they they know what they're talking about and they know what things should be, you know, to whatever extent, you I actually... I remember the
2: Lord's Ranch wanted me declared incompetent, so...
3: Right, right, exactly. And and, there, and that's a perfect example of just how how terrible they were. Like, they would just, they would misuse the system constantly. Oh, yeah. They would just completely always
2: 17. Even at 17, I didn't know what I was getting into when I ended up there. But every time things like this would happen, I'd be standing there like, what is going on here? Why is this happening? Like, yeah. even in my 17 year old brain, I'm thinking there should be no reason that I'm being denied shampoo that won't cause an allergic reaction.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know Provo Canyon I guess <laughs> you know I mean I mean yes. there's places like that all over the country that's the thing and as they far just as
2: I'm aware Alaska is still sending the Provo Canyon really that's what I heard
3: if that's true that's unbelievable if that they're still doing that after Paris Hilton has brought like attention to it because you know yep. they haven't changed you know they haven't changed. They might have changed yeah, little things here and there. Yeah, I not
2: one, but I've heard, I've heard that they are.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, they, I mean, they'll change some things at some facilities. Like I talked to this kid who was at the ranch in 2012. He said he had the option to not go to chapel. I was like, oh wow, that's that's cool. Lucky. And they and they had uh, we Ken, didn't have that option. But, they had cameras. They actually had some cameras, but it obviously it was easy to find a blind spot. You know how many cameras you would need at yeah. that place to, you know, cover all the ground that it had? I mean, there's there'd be no way. But
2: they can't afford that with that $125 million.
3: No, no, of course not. Ted has to, you know... That's
2: just too much.
3: Ted has to buy his hookers in Vegas or whatever he does with that money. And, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just... it. Pl- places change and they can get better, but the, I mean it, it's once they're once they have that kind of I don't know that kind of work society that uh that company culture, I don't think it ever goes yeah. away. You know what I mean? Like they might change and yeah. improve on some things, and they'll be like, look at that, we got cameras. You can go to church I if see, you want to, thing. and but they're still that, going to do the awful thing. things.
2: He- I don't think that the Lord's Ranch got rid of mandatory religion because they wanted to change for the better. I don't think they did it out of respect for their patients. I think they did it because they got busted and were forced to. Oh, yeah, probably. And so there's a, big, there's a big difference between a company that is making change, changes to improve for the better of their patients and their services because they're genuinely trying to do better versus we got caught forcing it when we weren't supposed to and they made us
4: stop. Right.
3: And that's the thing. They're the, they, they they would do stuff that they knew they weren't supposed to do. Like when they forced you to and, write that letter, when you know, when oh, they, yeah. for, or they or they or when they put their hands on kids and then they deny it and all you know, all the stuff that they're doing. They, these aren't these aren't incidentals or just like little mistakes like, "Oh, whoops, I didn't know that I wasn't allowed to do that." Like yeah, no, you were you were you were aware. That's why you're denying it. That's why you're lying. That's why you're preaching about the Ten Commandments and breaking the Ten Commandments in, in all in the same day. You know? Yeah. I mean, these people Even uh, the
2: shampoo situation. Was it right for them to put their hands on me and physically assault me like that? No.
4: No, not like at if all.
2: If you're my coworker, and I think you smell the high heaven, and you're disgusting, it does not give me a right to drag you to the sink and force you to wash your hair. Well,
3: and it's like, it's like, you can't do the work of a cashier. I mean, you're doing yeah. this job. You can't, you Leave can't handle-
2: separately.
3: Keep the receipt. Keep the receipt. Keep the receipt. It was $3.19. okay. Take the three dollars and nineteen cents out, or whatever, and get reimbursed, or whatever, or just don't get a receipt and just spend the money. You are making millions. Right? You because go from one hundred forty-four thousand shampoo- to eight point five million in a matter of five years. I think you're going to be okay spending yep. an extra couple bucks.
2: My Ugh. grandparents were literally mailing me shampoo, and like it's just sad to think about that—the fact that my grandparents had to mail me shampoo.
3: I'm just glad we're out of there. And I'm glad that I'm glad that we have good enough memories and I'm glad that a lot of people have good enough memories that we can all go back to it and we can talk about it. And sure there's some things we don't remember. Uh there's there's probably a yeah. lot of things that I don't remember, but we remember enough to where we can we can say exactly what these people did and now they have oh, to deal with the this- consequences.
2: There's actually something I saw recently that made me think of us, like you and I. And it said something about how, you know, you don't recall the things you did to me on a daily basis, but I remember every detail because it was fucking traumatic. And for you, it was a fucking Tuesday.
4: Right, right, right. And it
2: made me think of us. It made me think of us, and it made me think of the ranch, because it was. For them, it was a Tuesday, and for us, it's burned in our brain.
3: Right, and that was the kind of stuff that I thought about. And people were like, "Well, I don't want my voice to be on there because they're going to recognize my voice." I'm like, "They've seen thousands of kids. They don't. I mean, they don't know. They don't remember me. They don't remember me at all. Even the staff
2: members I've made contact with don't remember me.
3: Yeah, I believe it." I know. I, I when I when they I was talking me. when I was talking to Bob, I I knew I had talked to Bob in person, and he had cried in, right in front of me. And I but I knew he didn't know who I was. He didn't know he didn't know who's what my name was. He saw the Justin L Hatton and the he saw, he saw Justin Hatton and Ryan Hobbs. He's like, is is are these both your accounts, or do you use two accounts, or do you have a twin brother? And I was just like, this wow, guy, he doesn't even know who I am. And, and and I so, I don't care. Like it's not a big deal. That's oh, yeah. totally natural. But the fact of the we matter were just is, the number. Yeah, exactly. We were just we were just somebody who brought in money, and then eventually we left, and our parents got us out of there. You know what's crazy is my mom when she was trying to get me out of there, and the person was telling her that I wasn't done with the program. Uh, she said it was somebody in the office, like a lady in the office. I never interacted yeah. with any women. In that place, so why would she know that I wasn't ready to leave? That was protocol for them to do that. I guarantee it was protocol. To, well, oh, oh the, the, he's not ready. Well, Why is he not ready? Uh, he, he, he's not done with our program. We have a program that we're working. You know, I, I was. It was. It was protocol for them to try to fight back and try to keep the money still coming in and keep it flowing in. But These there
2: was no program. It.
3: That's the thing. There was
2: no program. The program was, was make no as
3: much money outline. as you can at with this person here. And once they're gone, they're gone.
2: There was absolutely no program. There was no schedule of events. There were no objectives and goals we had to meet. There was no program. Because if there was, they would have been keeping us on our goals.
3: Right. Well, and there are people they had to get rid of too just because of the risk. Like that one guy who had his arm broken there and then he got it like yeah. rebroken there. I I knew that guy. Uh, I didn't realize it until I looked at his pictures. I was like, wait, I have a picture of him. Like, for some reason, I found a picture of the Lord's Ranch, like Mr. P and a bunch of the kids. And yeah, I I was like, I know that guy.
2: Kind of crazy. What I would expect from a psychiatric program is goals and objectives and steps that the patients need to achieve in order to work their program and get out. But we were never given those. I would constantly ask, what do I have to do to get out of here? Well, just keep doing good. Do good. And that's all they'd tell me. What but does do good mean?
3: Live this lifestyle. And it doesn't even work because they'll, they'll, they can literally, somebody can say that you plan on running away and they'll take your shoes away. And then, oh, it's just and like when I at, got framed. That's what I'm saying. Like you, you can get you can get in trouble because somebody said something, or Someone your your room gets uh, flipped because member. of this because of the cell phone incident where you talk about the cell phone, and somebody uh-huh. they flip your room. It's like tossing yep. cells in a prison. It's the same thing. Or when it's they exactly say it. they say I flirted with the Spanish teacher, and I get sent to level one for a month. I'm like, what? But but that never happened. Like four or five. They never got- sent
2: me They never sent me to level one. And the only reason I genuinely believe is because my parents and my grandparents were up their ass about me, and I don't think they could have gotten away with putting me on level one. They would threaten me with it, but they never actually did it. Yeah. I can see. And that. so have you ever heard of have you heard of London syndrome? What is it? London syndrome?
3: Uh, I don't believe so. What is it?
2: So you know what Stockholm syndrome is, right? Yeah. London syndrome is basically the closest to an opposite of Stockholm syndrome that I can come up with. And it, it, it doesn't technically quite fit, but someone who's being held captive starts to antagonize their captor. They stop caring if they hurt them. They stop caring what they do to them and they deliberately go out of their way to upset their captor. And I feel like that even though it's not exactly a fit for what we went through is the closest I can get to describing how I reacted to it.
3: Yeah, and how I still react to it kind of. I mean, yeah. the way I, the way I feel right now, like I like when when we were planning on danning those guys, like I just I just wanted to lay into him. Like, I, I'm just waiting for the moment that Stan Jackson responds to me on Twitter. Because I've, I've written on so many of his things on Twitter, and he just won't respond. I'm not
2: caring what they did to me. Like, they would threaten me with this, threaten me with that. I'm like, go ahead. I don't care. Do it.
3: Yeah. And you got out in seven months?
2: Um, I got there the end of May, and I got out the end, middle of October. I got out October 18th, and I got there Memorial Day weekend.
3: Yeah, so just about.
2: But I, no I way I No, honestly, not really.
3: That's like five months, isn't it? It's six. Is this? Oh, okay.
2: About. um, know. But I got so tired of it. I just stopped caring. Like, if you're going to punish me, punish me. And I would say whatever I wanted to say to them. And if I got in trouble, I didn't care. And I really think it bothered them because they give me lines, they give me essays, and it didn't affect me. I'm like, fine, you want me to write this? I will. doesn't change my, my shit opinion of this place. I'll say it again.
3: Right, right. And that's why I think they were so desperate to keep you until you were 21. That, because you had the nuclear option, that was the big thing, right? You had they the wanted option to break of, I, I turned 18. I'm going to turn 18. You guys are disarming a time bomb right now and you guys are losing. So you guys can either get it done or you're going to lose. And that's it. And the bombs can go off. I think that's off. why
2: they pushed. That's why they pushed for me to be determined to be incompetent by a court of law.
3: Right. They wanted to break me down. They wanted full control because that's what they were used to. Like there were certain kid there were certain kids that went there there's this one kid his name was uh, Josh Riggins and he was an odd kid and he always got in trouble I mean always always got in trouble he was and he just I looked up a picture of him and I was like oh my gosh like a guy's so creepy and uh and it's it's still the same picture as it was when I found him like you know, 7 years ago like I don't know if even you know if that guy's still alive anymore but uh he uh he had these issues he had so many issues and like I remember he would see like all these black guys and he would call them the n-word and they'd all just jump him and beat him up and then he'd get up and he'd oh, just say, and he'd get up and he'd just say it again and they'd just beat him up And they finally just got to the point where they wouldn't beat him up anymore because he would just keep saying it. And he would do all these really, like, there was something wrong in his brain. And I remember, like, he he got in a fight with somebody, and the staff took him in the back and had him fight this guy and uh, let the fight happen, and Josh got beat up. Like, he couldn't fight. And then I remember there was one morning, he's crawling around the house, He's crawling around the house and barking like a dog and scratching his head with his foot. He starts drinking water out of the toilet. And then Ew. he starts and then he starts throwing up into the toilet. And this I'm, I'm telling you, this guy was crazy. But it was really entertaining because, you know, like I was just like, well, I mean, I guess it's something to watch, whatever. But eventually they just got rid of him. I think they I th- they said like there was just too much like he didn't even know who the president was like the guy is just like he was just out there like there was just something going just on, with that like, on they they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't get through to him they could not get through to him the scariest staff member he, he it's like he just didn't understand or is he didn't feel any of the punishments whatsoever it was the most bizarre thing to watch
2: so. No. Let me read you the actual definition of London syndrome. And it is explicit and constant resistance and refusal by hostages to do what captors expect during a hostage situation. It was first identified in 1981 after a hostage taking incident in London.
3: Interesting.
2: And I feel like that's the closest syndrome I have ever found. That matched how I felt at the Lord's Ranch.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It could have been. Yeah. I mean, I I, I definitely wasn't like that.
2: And if wa- you think about it, so many of those kids appeared to have Stockholm Syndrome. They would do whatever the staff wanted them to just mm-hmm. to stay off their radar.
4: Yeah. Oh,
3: yeah.
2: And I so mean, when you I, think I about to Stockholm and London Davis. being opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. But when you think about those syndromes together, most of the kids went the Stockholm Syndrome way. Right. But then you had those few outliers.
3: Right. Exactly. Yeah, there were a few like and that. Like, there, and there were some with mental disorders. And there was, I, I mean, with you, I thought, I think it was, I think it was the 18 thing. I think that really, I think you just got to the point where you were just like, yeah, so? You know what I mean? Like, you just, okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't agree with you.
2: Well, I mean, I read you my letters. Like I was really trying the first month or two. I was like, okay, this is new. I'm going to try and do the right thing. But the more I saw, the more messed up I realized this place was. And the more I started feeling like I'm never going to get out of here. It doesn't matter what I do. They're never going to let me go. Right. Right. And I feel like I kind of mentally gave up there. I stopped caring that I wasn't doing good. I stopped caring that I wasn't making them happy and they were mad at me. Like, what's it going to change anything? It got to the point where I dreaded waking up every morning. I dreaded waking up. I would wake up disappointed I was still alive.
3: That would be like me at the Murphy house the murphy house tyree was there and i hated tyree like if there if i could choose one male staffs member that i hated more than any of the rest it was tyree davis he would he would have been he, he would have been the jan curtis for me like i i just i just hated him and i remember i think i told you this before whenever he used to like he used to me i'd be sitting around he would always try to get me in trouble he'd always try to get me in trouble so he called me over to the, his vanity. He's like, Ryan, come here. I'm, about coming over. I'm like, yes, sir. And uh, he's like, uh, what are you talking about? I'm like, what? I'm like, what are you talking about with him over there? I'm like, um, I'm, we're talking about shit we're not supposed to. You know, whatever. But you know, I make up something. And he's like, I'm going to call him over here and ask him. He better say the same thing. I'm like, OK. He's like, I want you to face that way. Well, I caught on to this little game because he used to do it all the time. So this one guy that I was talking to, we decided that we were going to be like, all right, anytime he calls us over, we're just going to say we're talking about our dads. And <laughs> he's like, he's like, okay. I was like, I was like, I'm like, I'll talk about how my dad committed suicide. You talk about how your dad left the family. And he's like, yeah, 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 we'll do that. I'm like, all right, cool. So we're hanging out one day, and I hear. Hey, Ryan. And I look over and I see Tyree and he looks at me. He's like, hey, hey, come here. And I looked over at Liddell and I was like, hey, Liddell. As I'm walking away, I'm like, our dads. And he's like, he's kind of nods. And I walk over. I was like, yes, sir. He's like, what are you and Lie talking about? He always called him Lie, even though his name was Liddell. And he always called him Lydell, but he called him Lie. And uh, I was like, oh, we were just talking about our dads. He's like, what about your dads? I'm like, ah, uh, you know, mine, mine committed suicide when I was at a young age. And his his uh, his uh left at a young age, so we didn't really get to know our dads very well. It was just kind of something we were just kind of connecting on that, I guess. And he's like, okay, I want you to turn around and face that way. Put your hands behind your back. I was like, yes, sir. I tur- turn around. Liddell comes over, calls him over. Asks, he asks Liddell. He's like, Liddell, what were you and Ryan talking about? He goes, our dad's. And as soon as he said our dads, I just let, I had the biggest smile on my face and Tyree couldn't and can't see, see me. He can't see me cause he has me facing the other way and I'm just grinning really big. He's like, that's not all you guys are talking about though. Right. And he's like, no, that was it. And he just sat there and Stan sitting there. You know, st- I, I was like, yes. I, I guess. remember
2: seeing the boys. I remember seeing boys with hands behind their backs all the time.
3: Oh God. Yeah. Yeah, they would always make us stand. But do we that. never
2: had to stand like that. The girls never had to. I wonder why. I don't know. We never got asked to put our hands behind our back.
3: Oh yeah, they always expected aggression out of the guys. That's that's they would. That's that's what. Uh, I was told by one of the staff members that that's kind of what they instilled in them was that guys were more prone to aggression and to yeah. to be more concerned about aggression with the with the guys. So that's We were and,
2: never asked to put our hands behind our back.
3: And I and I talked to a staff I talked to a staff member and I was like and I asked him I was like who do you think had it worse the girls or the guys? He said the guys definitely had a harsher. I was like okay, I was like see that's what I I I that was my inclination too because I figured that they would get beat worse than the girls. And he's like, right. And he's like, exactly. He's like, he's like, he's like, that's not to say the girls had it easy, but they, uh, but they, they, uh, the boys would just be, they would be harmed more. You would see more broken bones and things like that. And I was like, but then I started talking to girls and I realized that they had to run the risk of sexual assault. And a lot of them had experienced it. And it made me think that the girls had it worse than the guys. And he was like, he's like, that could be true." he said, i I never saw any sexual assault, but uh, that I mean, yeah, that could absolutely be true. It would not surprise me. So that's why I, I, thought- see, I
2: feel I feel like there's more psychological abuse of the girls. I feel like a lot more of it was mental, and it was head games constantly.
4: There was they a would lot try of to pit games. us
2: against each other. They would try to get under our skin. They'd lie to us. They'd manipulate us. They would turn the, every girl against each other. on Ty,
3: Tyree would do that too. I, I, I got to say Tyree would definitely do that. Like uh, when he, he was trying to – he was interrogating me about communicating with girls. I communicated with tons of girls in that place. I didn't know who he was – I he never was, did. I, I didn't know who, who he was asking about. And I'm standing there. I
2: never communicated with a boy.
3: Man, yeah, I mean, I was, I would do it. I would just, you know, I had my own little system. I would always sit next to the teacher's desk where you turn in your papers, so the girls could, so basically, a a girl could turn in a paper with a note on it, and then I could just take the note off of the piece of paper when they turn their homework in, and that's how we would get the notes. I
2: never. I never did that. I never communicated with a boy, but I got accused of it once, and they were telling me I was going to end up there six months longer because I was being accused of it, and I didn't even actually do it.
3: Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me either. That's the kind of stuff that they did. They would accuse people of doing stuff that they did not do, and they wouldn't listen, though. Yeah. They wouldn't listen. If, it were, if there was an accusation, there was a the truth. That, that, that That's just how yeah. it was. And you, you, I mean, with the, like with the Spanish teacher thing. I was like, "What are you talking yep. about?" I was like, "I've never—I mean, Miss Marty. What? No, I—you know how small that classroom is. It's like if anybody hit on her, anyone would have saw it. Nobody hit on her. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Is it was, it, it was they just, just so,
2: looking for things.
3: Yeah, they were just—I couldn't believe it, and then yeah, and Tyree, Tyree's just sitting there trying to mock us. He has us standing there. We thought we were going straight inside. It's freezing. We're wearing T-shirts and jeans. And I have a beanie on. And I thought I was going straight inside from the van to go to school. So I'm, I'm wearing that stuff. I'm not wearing anything to stay warm. Like I'm not wearing a coat or anything. Tyree is bundled up. And he's standing there holding Oh, I that,
2: remember that. Yep.
3: Yeah, yeah. And he's holding his that, that science book. And he's tell, talking to us about why yep. the human body shivers and stuff. Just trying to mess with us. I was like, this guy is such a dick. I was like, I was like, I didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. And I never got to, I was like Mike Davis's right-hand man. Like I got, I climbed up to that point. It was awesome. I didn't have to go to school like at all. I would just, I would do all the homework, but I wouldn't go to school because all the homework was easy. So I would just like, I'd get, I'd find out what work they did and I just do it and then turn it in and then just go be with Mike Davis all day. And we like go out to eat and I do him favors. And like, I put up his Christmas yeah. lights at his house and stuff. And I was like, this is awesome. So like, this is cool. Like I can just not be at the ranch. And then I got framed and I always thought maybe that's why they framed me. Maybe they got tired of seeing me with Mike Davis. Like, just like, they just got sick of me being that guy with that privilege and they wanted to just rip me down. But then, as I've done this investigation, I've learned, well, maybe there's a little more to it than that. And I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe they wanted to keep the Alaskan longer. I don't know. Because well, the the, I know there you know, was the other Alaskan girl that they claimed was going to run away uh, that I interviewed, Latressa. And she's like, yeah, I, she, I, she goes, I, didn't, I, I had never even been outside of Alaska. I don't know where I would have went. And I was like, yeah. Exactly.
2: Well. And she... I never, ever, ever considered running away, ever, because I had no idea what I would do, where I would go. I had no clue. I didn't know the geography. I didn't know the terrain. But yeah, I ended up on shoe restriction a few times because they thought I was going to run away. And I I even asked, why do you think I'm going to run away? Well, you just look like you're thinking about it. How do you look like you're thinking about running away?
3: What, just because you're upset that you're at the Lord's Ranch? Do you know how horrible this I place guess. is?
2: I don't know. <laughs> I, I asked one of the staff members, I'm like, do you guys read minds or something? Like, how am I being punished for something you think I thought?
3: Right. It's unbelievable. Oh, my God. Yeah, That I, that's just the kind of place it was, though. I mean, I'm mean, really, it is. It was is. gross, they just-
2: too. Like, shoe restriction was gross because you would get all that dust and dirt and moisture and humidity in your socks.
3: Yeah, it sucks.
2: It yeah, was I,
4: gross.
3: I hated not wearing shoes. Like, whenever I was in level one, I'd have to get taken somewhere to, I don't know, I forgot where, I, I would get taken some places when I was in level one, and I'd have to walk on the rocks and stuff, and I can't remember, yeah. I think I think it had something to do with the nerves, like I'd have to like maybe get like a shot, or I, I don't know what the kind of stuff they would have me do, but I remember walking around these hot ass rocks, and I'm like, This sucks. Like, I didn't even do anything, and I'm just looking at everyone just free with their shoes on. I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> See, I didn't do anything.
2: I don't know. I don't know how long you'd be on shoe restriction, but for us, it was like a week.
3: It was the whole time I was in level one, so it was like a month.
2: Ugh, that's horrible.
3: Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I wasn't doing the regular stuff either. I was always in the house for the most yeah. part. You know, I mean, well, sometimes I, was I would leave in my.
2: I was in my normal house, but they would just take my shoes away. Hmm. And they would do it to kids all the time. Like you'd be walking around the school and you'd just see people in their socks and you knew they were on shoe restriction.
3: I thought we were all supposed to take our shoes off at the school.
2: Not in the school.
3: Yeah, because didn't they have that shoe room? Or maybe they didn't have that for the girls.
2: There was a shoe room in the houses.
3: There was a shoe room in the school when I was here. This big I don't ass remember shoe- that. Yeah, there was this big ass shoe room. Like uh
2: There might be, but I remember looking around and seeing people in their socks. And it might have been in the chapel, it might have been at church. I don't know. But I remember some kids would have socks and some some would have shoes.
3: Interesting. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, we were there at different times. So, like, you know, little the littlest yeah. things can change. So okay. Alrighty. All righty. Well, we'll get it all figured out. I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna mess around with this. I got to do a little bit of editing and get this cut in, and okay. then uh, play around a little bit. So, but I will well, talk to you tomorrow. you
2: tomorrow.
3: Yep, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'll try to be up early, and we can get this stuff knocked out.
2: All right. Sounds
3: good. All righty. I'll see you. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye on the next episode of what really happened at the lord's ranch we'll provide yet another witness to the atrocities at that facility and more brainwashed cult members will squirm deny or make excuses to the allegations stay tuned we'd like to thank justin andrews senior aka crew la black tuba for all the music he made on this podcast he's talented so if you want to reach out to him we'll put a link to his social media in the description box We'd also like to thank Gnostic Concepts for their original artwork and animations. Their commissions page is open to an array of requests, ranging from original character concepts to detailed, wide-scale scenery. So if you're interested in receiving a service from them, a link to their social media will be provided in the description box as well. For everybody who took time out of their day to help make this podcast a reality, we want to thank all of you. Without each and every one of you, none of this would be possible. Let justice be served, though the heavens may fall. It's never too late to right another wrong. We'd also like to dedicate this podcast to Diana Fields. Rest easy, Dee. You'll always be missed and never be forgotten.